am Hippolyta. I am Hippolyta! Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. This show's current. What are you trying to say? Yeah, know, no, I we're. Know, I'm hip. I know more I'm with shit. it. Yes. Is is just making that joke? Yes. Incredibly unhip. Like that. That already says like you were way too old to be doing. Yeah, you've you've dated yourself twenty years or something. But maybe plus. I think Austin Powers was the late nineties. Yeah, that feels right. I don't know. It was a dark time, Duncan. (laughs) It was a dark time. Yeah, there was that. And some some people would argue it was a simpler time. Like he hadn't made the Love Guru yet, so he wasn't toxic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right, right. Uh, he hadn't completely shit the bed cinematically yet, but yeah, he was on know. his way. <laughs> well, it, the thing is, Mike Myers never changed. It, no, it's no. just yeah, that the rest right. of the world moved on. And he was like, yeah. hey, what about farts and me making funny faces? And they're like, yeah, we're good. Which is weird because, like, Eddie Murphy hasn't changed and that's now back. Right, but Eddie Murphy was, like, when he was doing Raw oh, Eddie Murphy's and stuff a, like, like that. Yeah, right, that's... Eddie Murphy's a different level to begin with. So right. I just want to stress to anyone that might be listening to this preamble of Bo Puts It In, I am not saying that Mike <laughs> Myers... Is on the same comedic genius level as Eddie Murphy. That's totally that what is, I heard. That is a fool's errand. Um, what I'm saying is that he was ostracized for quite a while, but sometimes all you got to do is sit back, relax in your millions, mm-hmm. um, and then and then the world will come to you, which is what is done with Eddie Murphy. And I'll tell you right now, Bo Ransdell, I'm looking forward to that coming to America too, even though I think the first one is like comedic genius. I want to see it because I want to see more Eddie Murphy. That Dolomite movie was straight up fucking amazing. So, uh, I am Bo Ranstall. That's Duncan McLeish. This is Duncan and Bo Come Correct, a.k.a. Duncan and Bo Go to Lovecraft Country. Duncan, here's why I agree with you about this Eddie Ooh. Murphy thing. I had, to, I had to get the, all that out of the way. Um, <laughs> we got. I mean, it's kind of a show. So, mm. <laughs> kind Allegedly. Of, allegedly. <laughs> I, I think you're right. And I think the thing I love most about Eddie Murphy now is when you see him in interviews and when people ask like what were you doing the last 15 years and he was like i did nothing i was just i was sitting around i was hanging out with my kids watching them grow up they had kids of their own i didn't do shit i I cashed some checks you know (laughs) like and hung out with my family that's all i did and like he talks about how his home his and his wife's home uh, became a hub for all their family like all their kids and their families kind of came through there just mm-hmm. as a matter of course, like, you know, everybody was kind of always around. And I mean, that sounds like heaven. So yeah, that's what, if that's not what you want, if that's not what the goal is to be in a position where you're financially secure enough that you can take care of your kids and your kids, kids and your kids, 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 you know what I mean? In a way where you don't have to worry, you don't have to stress about work or anything like that. You can just sit back and enjoy the time with the people that you love the most. If that is not the dream, then why are we here? <laughs> right. And now he's got the itch to kind of act and be creative again. And great. And he seems to be doing great work. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. He didn't force himself like after yeah, a couple of movies bombed, he just kind of stepped back and then had, like yeah, lived his life. That, and he had that kind of tepid return when he did that tower heist movie. 
Yeah. It's kind of, it was kind of a quasi, it was almost felt like someone impersonating Eddie Murphy in that movie. He's, he's fine and he's funny in it, but it's not, it's not what I expect or want from him. Yeah. Um, and like I say, that Dolomite movie, I think he is flat out amazing in that. And the fact that no one, well, it's one of these things where it comes to comedies and horror movies that the Academy will never give someone the best actor for a comedic performance or for a horror performance. They just, they just don't do that. Right. Um, and like he, to me, he's, he was easily top five, at, you know, acting performances that year um, from a leading male because he's fucking brilliant at it. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested. He's done a lot of projects, so I, I can't wait to see them. Did you see the, his most recent, SNL appearance. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah it's it's incredibly like, funny. Yeah, very, very, almost to the point where I was like that. This guy, it's like when Chappelle does it as well. It's like these guys like disappear for a huge amount of time and they come back. And I love the fact that they're still a bit edgy. Yeah, <laughs> they're still like I saw Chappelle's um, post-election kind of like that, and he was doing a whole kind of diatribe about how you know, like essentially. Um, middle America, rural America is now, you know, um, is, is the white ghetto essentially. Yeah. And it's okay, Chappelle and his people will <laughs> talk you through how to get through that. And it's just so, like, it's so on the edge. I mean, like, and he goes over it a couple of times, but not far over it. And it's just, as you, I think comedy, the comedy is the last bastion for for that sort of kind of um, satire and kind of political commentary to an extent, or social commentary. And um, I think Eddie Murphy's the same. Like I heard him talk, and I was just like, <laughs> he's talking about Bill Crosby. <laughs> it's not funny, but he's like, you know, like um, that that whole thing about Bill Crosby. Um, and he's was it raw? I think it is. He does yeah, the, the impression where he's like, you know, he's American. He called dad. Richard Pryor. Yeah. 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 That's, Chopping up a coconut smile. Yeah. Uh, hey, but- do, do people do people laugh when you say the things you say? Yes. Do you get paid when you say the things you say? Yeah. Then you tell Bill Cosby have coconut smile and shut the fuck up. <laughs> the whole idea that Cosby at that time was like America's dad and yeah. Eddie Murphy was the one that was corrupting things, and at that time. Crosby was date raping and right. you know like people was like that is like it, it, it swung the pendulum swung so far around that Eddie Murphy's like that. Listen, I, I mean, if there's one guy here that the you know can can say that you know they didn't do that and he kind of is America's dad, that's me now, motherfucker. And I'm yeah. like, yes, Donkey yes, from right. fucking Shrek is here to tell you, Bill Cosby is a piece of shit. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for it. I think the last time heard because of the recent, I don't know if you know about this, uh, Bo, but uh, cinemas are struggling at the moment. Um, the theater experience might be, uh, might be changed forevermore. Um, but I believe the last I heard was Amazon had acquired coming to America too, and I believe it is going to streaming. So, but I right. cannot fucking wait. Can't wait. Yeah, I you know a conversation for another day, Duncan. But I'm not I'm not the biggest defender of the theater experience. I think. Um, yeah, I think it has. I, I mean, there are certain movies that I equate to enjoying more because of the experience I have vicariously through other people. Yes, like certain horror yes. movies I think play a lot better for me in a crowded cinema, even though they don't necessarily 
impact me on a, a kind of scare level, but I do get a thrill out of other people not knowing the blatantly obvious that every hardcore horror fan knows that the jump scare's coming in three, two, you know, like says that sort of thing. And you see people shit themselves and it's, it is, you know, there's there's a part of that that you get like a, a kind of perverse enjoyment out of. I'm also kind of way though, there are certain movies that I went to see in the cinema that are, you know, absolute works of art that have been ruined by arseholes talking or people on their phones or, you know, you've come to this fucking theatre to watch this movie, sit down, <laughs> have a have a coca smile and shut the fuck up. It's literally what you want to say to these people. It, it, it can be, it can, it can taint the viewing experience. Um, and if there's, there are certain movies that have stuck with me uh, as being negative experiences until I saw them by myself and then I finally got it or it's, you know, that it's gelled with me a bit better because there's no one there disrupting my viewing. Um, so, yeah, it swings and roundabouts. I think, no, once again, conversation for a different show. Yeah. I think next year is, I think there's a whole lot, a whole mess of movies, I believe is the term that we're going to call it. That's a collection of movies, but a whole mess of movies that have been delayed to next year. Um, and I don't think things are going to be ready. Uh, like for for things like March and April, I just at the stage we're at just now, just don't see it. Right? Um, yeah, it feels like it's going to be a May June kind of affair. Like summer, I think yeah. will be big. But but Duncan, you're not gonna you're not gonna lure me with your siren song of, of movie theater discussions. <laughs> yeah, I've We've had got a, a few lot, drinks, so I, I'm I'm in the mood for a fight. I, I know you're itching for a fight, and I'm not going to give you one. Um, <laughs> The, the like the kryptonite to a Scott a Scottish person is is not arguing right. It's just like being yeah, pleasant. I agree. That's why we don't like Americans. Yeah. That's why we don't like Americans. You're too cordial. Um, yeah, that's like, that's what the world sees as American is yeah, you are. politeness and sophistication, Duncan. I've never like in the few times that I've been to America. I've been to America five or six times. Um, I've never been to anywhere else on the planet where people have forced a smile and told me that they hoped I had a nice day. Like, never on any place sure. on the planet. It's, it's yeah. unreal. It's, that's, it's all the, un- that's all the simmering anger under the surface. Like, you don't know how to read that. But if you're an yeah. American, that, that, is, that is a quiet fuck you. Yeah. I, trust me, like, in Scotland, you just get the fuck you. Yeah. And it isn't quiet. Probably better. <laughs> yeah. Probably better. But, it's but, healthier. It's healthier. <laughs> but, Duncan, we've got a lot to cover tonight. Mm. Two episodes. This puts us, I believe, back in track. Back in track! Because um, we'll have one, <laughs> the one more episode. second episode in a row. <laughs> Every episode from now on. It's our national anthem. Um, the, the, the DBCC national anthem. And, um, oh, yeah, after this episode, the... Well, the next it's episode, the finale, the, yeah. Yeah, the final two. And I am very excited about it because we were going to record two on the previous episode. That mm-hmm. episode is out. People have heard it. They loved it. I'm just going to say Loved that, it. Yes, loved is the word that I imagine that people felt. Um, <laughs> but like, I was, like, I'd seen episodes, what, six and seven in prep for that. So I, I was prep, but the time just got away from us. So I hadn't seen episode eight, and I was high on life for the episode that we hadn't discussed. I was like, so, I mean, I'm yeah. going to have to basically edge myself for a week um, <laughs> like, <laughs> to get fucking through this. Uh, and then I sat down to watch episode eight today, and it finished. And I, I, I just kept, I was like, not only is it all coming together, 
But by God, I say it every episode, this show is is just a different level. It's just operating completely. It functions in a completely different level of entertainment, horror, storytelling, acting, um, social commentary. It, it just is like sim tracks. We're going to get to it, but episode eight to me, I don't want to jump ahead of things, might be my favourite. <laughs> like, it yeah. fucking... Floored, it floored me how much they crammed into an hour of television. Like, I just, like, by the end of it, I was like, we have tied up so many disparate ends that I didn't think would be satisfactorily bought in at this point. And they have. There's just like every, I know where we're going in these last two episodes, kind of. Um, and I'm very excited to get there. And I'm very excited to talk about them with you, my friend, Bo Ransdell. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this too because I agree. I kind of I have the same experience where, and I well not the exact same because I watched uh, obviously the the episode seven for the last episode, which you and I will talk about in a minute. I think both mm. were like this fucking episode. Holy shit! Different and, level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then I watched the episode eight the the next day after we recorded. And I, I have to admit, initially I was kind of lukewarm on it because I love the seventh one so much because of mm-hmm. the the wild tone and the imaginative nature of it and the, and so forth. And then when I went back and did notes, I was like, oh, no, I was fucking wrong. This episode rocks. <laughs> like <I've, Yeah. laughs> Episode eight, Grim, like episode seven is the kind of, at times, very fanciful science fiction weird utopian movie right uh, and that it takes you through it, we'll get to it but the, the visuals and the, the 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 themes and all the rest are on a completely different level to anything you'll see in television it's just the sort of thing it's the sort of thing that if you watch movies like interstellar and stuff like that nolan tries to capture but he's too bleak to get you know what i mean it's, you're like, <laughs> right. you can't, yeah. can't, can't the do it. fucking coward christopher yeah. nolan duncan doesn't have the balls to do what lovecraft country does i mean essentially like episode seven like t- this, the, the second half of episode seven of lovecraft country is like what would happen if um, if they were making Event Horizon on acid, <laughs> like right. just well, like <laughs> yeah. And, but the thing is though, like episode eight just like understands that episode seven exists, and then it's like that. Oh, that's right. We're a horror show, and then it grims it with maybe two or three scenes of visually the best horror I've seen on television. Full stop. Like end of I know uh, there's a there's a body mo- there's a body kind of breaking apart scene transformation scene during sex which is mm, like I can't think of anything even remotely touching that in terms of what I've seen on the TV it is it's, it's fucking crazy it's good. different level it's a yeah. different fucking level and I just found that the whole the whole every episode just manages it was weird because you said. Like I don't know if this I probably won't make the show, but you said to me it was like yeah episode eight you know it's like like fuck you Jordan Peele, and it kind of is like almost in every episode they have a kind of there's a linchpin idea to something exists um, in the horror consciousness whether that's in a movie or fiction or whatever, and their kind of modus operandi is to better it, and they achieve it in every episode like every single episode. And they are still doing it, and with two episodes left, and my, I don't, I, I don't know if 
I, I mean, I, I haven't heard has it been renewed for a season two? I mean, you how know, could so, it not be, Duncan? Oh, like, the, all the money. Like, like all the money. If I'm HBO, I'm not fucking paying, what was it, 100 million to get, like, a reunion of Friends? Fuck that shit. 100 million, Lovecraft Country, four seasons, give me it. Yeah. Anything you want to do. And nothing's, like, we will censor. Fuck all. Just do it. So what you're doing just now, just keep doing it. Here's more money, though. All right. Just keep going. Well, before we get into those episodes, because we're mm-hmm. both just... we're, Etching. we're Yeah. <laughs> really excited about both of these. Um, listeners, first of all, uh, genuinely, thanks for, for uh, listening to the last episode. A bunch of people did. And uh, that's always nice. And uh, I would uh, I would quote Ooh. Psalms uh, mm. here, Duncan, uh, w- which says, you don't need another burden. Come and party with your spirit guide. <laughs> and and that is the spirit of the show i think so is this is this sums as written by the beastie boys uh it's actually cracker <laughs> but you know <laughs> yeah th- th- this couple of homeboys here will keep it real <laughs> yeah we're gonna do oh man yeah thank you for, for joining us I do feel now that there's a bit of really exciting news out there, we can probably we've been teasing it enough. There's only one episode left. Do we want to tell the listeners out there where we're going next? Yeah, I think. All right. So a little bit of housekeeping. Um, so here's what's coming in, uh, after we finish Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. We're going to take uh, a brief detour and we're going to do uh, Money Plane. Mm-hmm. A money plane commentary. Oh my god, I, I, I keep forgetting of what we're going to do that. I never like fucking money plane. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's got to happen. So that's right. That's right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Then following that, we start uh, a new comment. Uh, well, not commentary, but a new recap show. Um, and I don't know what we're going to call it yet. Uh, I guess Duncan and Bo get chilled. Ooh. Something like that. Listeners, mm. uh, feel free to, to drop a line either in one of the Facebook groups or uh, uh, Bo at LegionPodcasts.com if you have an idea. But we're going to be doing the series Chiller. And the reason is, it's because I watched two episodes and I was like, this is the dumbest <laughs> shit I ever saw. And then I told Duncan he needed to watch it. And he watched an episode and he said, this is the dumbest shit I ever saw. We ought also, to do it's, this. Also, <laughs> so dumb that it has morphed its name in your brain. It's Slasher. Slasher, sorry, not chiller, Jesus. <laughs> that, Slasher. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Like the show is that dumb that when you said that, I agreed with you until you said that again, and I was like, "That's not the name of the show." So that's how dumb that show is. Yeah, and but all I'm gonna say is, Bo, you may have picked a fucking winner here, not only because the I've only seen one episode and it is oh my, it's, it's ripe. Mm, it's wow. ripe for the picking. Yeah, I can't wait. I, there's too much. Yeah, too many options. Like, I, like. Yeah, I, I did hi, Duncan. <laughs> Do you be mean? Like... <laughs> no, let's just shut up. So we'll. It's too much. But what was the news that dropped? Like, I'm not saying we should do all the three seasons that are out there but... at the moment. However, the fourth season just got some casting news. <laughs> One, there's going to be a fourth season of this show. After watching the first episode of the first show, I'm surprised as well as second season, I, right? right? I'm surprised uh, they got through the first. I'm surprised somebody didn't pull the plug and just be like, you get four. 
wrap someone it up. has someone has some compromising photos or dna evidence on a fucking black cocktail dress or something fucking we, somewhere we call that collateral duncan <laughs> yeah in order to get another but anyway season four casting news i tagged you tell the the, the dear listeners out there what has literally made this the best fucking choice long term for us oh well duncan uh david cronenberg <laughs> is going to be appearing in season four of slasher i don't know i i assume he's going to be the high school principal oh could you imagine i mean who knows duncan but all i know is that he's in it and his his performances in film whether it be shivers where mm-hmm. he is a lust-filled zombie mm-hmm. uh whether it is jason x where he is head <laughs> of a shadowy program Meant to study Jason Voorhees and his <laughs> apparent immortality. Whether it is Nightbreed, where oh. he plays the greatest character in cinema history. Oh, Dr. Decker is the, the scariest slasher killer in cinema history, in my opinion. Be- best known, Duncan, by the line. He's got a gun! <laughs> so. See if he does that in Slasher. Best show ever, Lovecraft Country, GTFO. We've got, we've yeah. got a new, we've got a new show here, and it's it's called Slasher, aka Chiller. We're just gonna call it Chiller, Chiller, uh, Slasher Chiller. Sla- uh, <laughs> and anyway, so th- we're gonna do the first season of that for sure because holy shit, you guys. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> and then we'll kind of see where we are. It might be a thing where like let's. Let's test the waters with with season two and see how it is. Um, and if it's if it's real stupid, then we'll roll with it. But it could be a thing where we we just jump straight to season four. Could, could we get Matthew Lillard to to do the the intro scene? Slasher chiller, slasher chiller <laughs> from <the> scream. <laughs> we, could we get that? That would be like that's all I want. That's that's what in fact that's is. Oh, that's gonna be so bad at me. <laughs> so, that's where we're going next. However, however. We only recorded a week ago. I've seen some stuff. It's not really worth spending any great time when we can come back and talk about it more in depth. Uh, although I did start that Mandalorian that everyone's been talking about, but that's a conversation for a different time. Bo. Yeah. <clears throat> Three episodes in conversation. But by the time we record, I will have seen the first season. We have two episodes packed to the fucking gills with chills. I don't know. Um, that was the best I could come up with after a drink. Um, Can I, all right, so let's do, we're, instead of going one good, one bad apiece, yeah. let, yep. let's just, uh, I know you saw Blood Vessel because I listened to that review. <laughs> and you and I, I think, are pretty much on board, although your score yeah, is fucking mind-boggling. Oh, uh, at the end, at the you know how my scores work compared to your scores. My scores work purely on a feeling. On cocaine are, and optimism. A feeling... A feeling Cocaine, optimism, and a check from Shudder. That is literally how my reviews work. No, I, I didn't, I didn't dislike the movie. I feel it is a colossal misstep. But I think there are, there's a few things in there that I just wish it had been attributed to a better movie. Yeah, like the 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 prosthetics and the effects of the vampires are fucking bitching. The cinematography really good. The soundtrack really good. The acting for the most part good but it's just the dialogue is fucking awful and someone forgot somewhere down the line that this is vampires on a nazi boat and that by its very definition shouldn't be as serious as the movie we got 
Like, yeah, at some point, your movie is called, watched- your movie's called Blood Vessel, and it's about Nazi vampires. <laughs> the fuck are we doing? Yeah, it's far too serious. It takes itself far, 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 far too serious, and as a result of that, it's just not a very good film. That coupled with, like I say, a a a bad script, like a, a very bad script. We bring all that, and just maybe not enough vampire action for me overall. So yeah, th- those are negative, but there there was a lot. Of po- I just it, my kind of overriding experience at the end of it was that I just felt, you know, if we just like if someone had just taken another run at this or would hand it to a director who dealt with a bit more schlocky material, there there's a potentially very funny entertaining movie there. It just it took itself far too seriously, but I didn't dislike it. I got to the end, I liked it. I would have liked it a whole lot better if they'd done other things with it. And I originally was aiming at the two and a half. And on that day, I literally talked myself up to a three. Like, during the day, I was just like, but you like this, Duncan? But you like it? Remember? Remember, Duncan? Remember? Um, yeah, and yeah, By the end, it was like three. Um, and I kind of stick with that. I'll never watch it again, though. <laughs> like, Certainly not. One, that is a one and done. Um, I will tell you this, though. I will tell Please. you this. I watched... Uh, because yesterday, the day we were recording today, is the Saturday the 14th, which means yesterday was Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sat down with that brand new uh, Scream Factory uh, Friday the 13th box set. Mm-hmm. And I picked a couple of them to watch. I watched part two. Mm-hmm. I watched part three. I, I'm still confused why I watched part three, but I watched part three, uh, part four and part five. Right, so I did that as a run there. So Man, I skipped out. A great fucking movie. Yeah, five. I, I I I will argue consistently that five is a great movie. Yes, it has some issues. Yes, those issues. Are... Ooh, baby. <laughs> There's a guy singing on the fucking show, right? Yeah, and like a whole scene about a dude having diarrhea on his date because of enchiladas. Yeah, which are are like one of a multitude of fast food. Readily available in the back of his van. Yes. Um, yeah, like, I mean, it's just like that. It's just brilliant. Sure. Right. And hashtag Roy is my boy. Right. That's all I'm saying. But, but bringing it back, like, I I forget how long the, the opening is to part two. It's like, been a while two, since I've watched it. Yeah. Part two has a good 10 minutes before we jump into the new characters. So I get 10 minutes of that girl remembering the end of the previous movie, chopping off Mrs. Vorsey's head, uh, walking about her house. Opening like, the fridge. Op- you know, yeah, opening the fridge. Like, it's about 10 minutes. And I, I was kind of thinking to myself, is this like an extended cut or something? And I, I had to actually get Mother Blu-ray and get the other Blu-ray out um, and, and put that in. And it's the same cut that's on that. And now I feel that either... There has been a new cut released at some point since things went to digital, you know, to Blu-ray and stuff, that I just, you know, I'm now completely forgetting that that's the new transfer. Or, or vice versa, that, you know, I have just conflated the whole beginning of that movie into, yeah, she has a very quick dream about chopping that mother's head off, goes to her fridge, opens it, and then gets a nice pick in the head. And I, I completely forgotten about it, but... The, the kind of big takeaway for me, and I'll hand it across to you to talk about stuff, is that, yeah, part three is still riddled with issues, one being Shelley. I'm so, I know people want... No, he's, he's, lit, he's, a, he's an abortion of a character, mm-hmm. and the, the biggest mistake in that movie is that he doesn't die more horribly quicker. Like <laughs> That's the biggest mistake of that movie. Also, the, the 3D gag is 
is rank. I really is offensive by about the five minute mark. Um, <laughs> you know, I really, it just is horrible. Yeah. And I imagine that I, I would have felt the same if I'd seen it at the time, even with this new Marvel, which is 3D. Uh, so yeah, part three, like, but yeah, to double down on what you're saying, part four, uh, to me, that's that stacks up there. One of the best slasher movies ever made. Like yeah. across the board, it gives you absolutely everything you need for a great slasher movie. And having spent the last two years going through the 88 films, slasher classic, classic in quotation marks, collection, because most of those movies are not slasher movies, and seeing how bad the movies are from the 80s, and bit like much later than when part four came out, and just like infinitely shit. And then coming back to that, it's a movie that is remarkable that it manages to get everything right. Like everything right. So yeah, um, my big re- kind of revelation is that part four is still my favourite Friday uh, <laughs> and probably will be forever. I, I don't think they'll ever do anything that, that best that. But yeah, my, my love for part five endures. That the heart wants what the heart wants, Bo, and that heart wants Demon, uh, wants little Reggie, mm-hmm. and it wants Roy. And it wants, like, Vic, at the beginning, like, taking an axe. Like, someone should have taken that axe to Shelley. Build a fucking DeLorean time machine. Go back in time and, like, get fucking Vic to take it to Shelley when he tries one of his fake pranks. That a real fucking axe in his fake scalp forehead. Oh, I feel so good to get that off my chest. Bo Ransdell, what about you? What have you been doing? Oh, I hate Shelley, too. Um... <laughs> It's what Bondy does, I think, very early in a relationship with yeah. a mutual hatred of that character. Yeah, everyone was like, oh, he gave Jason his mask. And fuck you and fuck that mask. I don't <laughs> yeah. care. J- Jason's cool, all that, but Shelly, Shelly, like you said, does not die horribly enough. Yeah, and- if the price we had to pay to not have Shelly in the movies anymore is to Jason to remain with a sack head on, I would do that. Happy to pay the rest of- yep. Yeah, that price was too high. <laughs> for the hockey mask um but but I, I on on the on the good front this is a movie that you talked about last week but Ooh. i just want to reiterate possessor fucking rocks that movie is all kinds Ooh. of good um Ooh. Ooh. and see what i mean about being violent <laughs> yeah it's it it's it's definitely got a tone it feels like early david cronenberg it mm-hmm. feels weirdly i got uh, a sense of uh beyond the black rainbow yes yes bull <laughs> and <laughs> yes. I, I, there's all this approval coming from you is throwing me off um but that in in the early like the cronenberg student films like mm. about the hypnosis and institute and shit like that yeah um that kind of stuff it's got that cold kind of corporate feel Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think that's intentional. I think, you know, you and I discussed this offline, uh, about, uh, you know, sort of what the larger themes of the movie are and yeah. of, you know, and, and I think you're absolutely right that much of the movie is about, uh, how a corporate, uh, lifestyle will consume the individual to the point that, like the human relationships in their lives tend to fall away because yeah, that's what that's what a corp that's what a corporation wants from its workers. Like fundamentally, it wants very much like a beehive. It just wants drones. It doesn't want drones with personality. Yeah, and it pictures wants of their kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it wants to pay as little as possible for as much as it can get. 
Exactly. And uh, yeah, so there's that element, but there's also, I argue, there is also <laughs> a, a piece of, of the main character that is either we're just coming into the story at the point where all of that has been erased anyway, mm-hmm. or there is already like the, the thing Jeffrey Jason Lee says where she's like, Hey, if there's a crack, you're lost, yeah. you know? And I think that crack is that like, she's with her kids and she's like, and her husband. And she's like, this fucking sucks. Like, yeah. You know, I don't know that I like this, this, I don't know yeah. that this is fulfilling. And so the job is like, of course it's not fulfilling. We want more of you. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's also there's there's small details in that movie that I genuinely fucking love. Um, there's like when she first transforms into the guy, one of the first things she does is check to see how big his dick is. Uh-huh. Um, which like that to me is a detail that seems to be missed in a lot of fucking movies. Literally, if I became anyone else than me, the first thing I'm I'm doing, man or woman, is checking to see what I've got. Like that is what, what are you working with? Yeah, exactly. Legitimately, the first thing. Not, you're like, checking at what I look in the mirror. I'm checking to see what I've got. Uh, male or female, that's what I'm doing. The movie does it, and it does it in a very... It does it a very clinically matter-of-fact sort of way, which... I mean, is like, like the, the, we use terms like the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and that has never been a truer statement when talking about Brandon Cronenberg, he's he's certainly his <laughs> father's son. Um, yeah, for sure. But it's very exciting to those film fans who are have been craving that kind of next kind of effort into weird sci-fi and horror that you know David Cronenberg's probably never going to do, it. and I would argue he doesn't have to do it um, anymore. He's he's, he's got a, a back catalogue of movies which are rich with some of the best examples of. Uh, cinema in those categories that you can go back and watch anytime you want but the fact his son's decided that that's the road that he wants to go on and like I say second movie's Possessor that is intimidating as fuck that's your that's your second movie and to me all I could think about weirdly well you're talking about um, Beyond the Black Rainbow and definitely there are shades of that but all I want is like a day in the house watching in a dark room beyond the black rainbow possessor daniel isn't real um because i think that works as well there's mm-hmm. a, a weirdness about that one but specifically colors get some fucking mandy in there as well just for the fucking just for shits and giggles and a bit of neon demon you crush that together you are like your brain coming at the end of that is fucked <laughs> yeah yeah in the amount of it. ayahuasca <laughs> That comes like if you rent those movies, Amazon just sends you ayahuasca. <laughs> you you appear on some sort of register. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. <laughs> right, but you're going to get some mail from some real interesting people. Yeah, it, it, it appears that user one five seven four three is trying to attain a different plane of existence. Yeah, <laughs> look through cinema. Fair warning: sixty percent cults. 60% of the context is going to be a cult of one form or another. But 40% going to get you spiritual and 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 perhaps even technological enlightenment. So mm. roll the dice, those I movies, guess. Are those movies all have that weird crossover. Cults and Mandy. Cults and... Um, mm-hmm. Fuck. Uh, cults and Mandy. Uh, cults and... There's really... Extent- 
there's calls in all the match if you think about it from out with out with Daniel isn't real. Yeah, I think that's all what the other movies have. So, but even then, Daniel isn't real is about escapism from your life, which is also essentially what Possessor's about and beyond the Black Rainbow. It's mm. like so yeah, so many themes, so many avenues to go down. But yeah, if you haven't picked up yet, I think it's safe to say DBCC approved Possessor. Yeah, we're like this is one of those. A hundred percent. You you should see this movie. It will be on both of our top ten lists at the end of the oh, year. Oh yeah, it'll be very high on my list. If, if it's, it's challenging just now for the top of my list, There's, it really, really, really is for for as crazy a year as it's been in the release schedule and all that stuff. There has been some phenomenally strong work to, mm-hmm. to choose from. So like. Yeah, again, an embarrassment of riches this year, uh, as, as with every year, and still, still haven't seen Saint Maud, Duncan. Yeah, I, d- I don't. I genuinely don't think you guys are going to get it this year. Um, I know and that's sad, such a bummer. The sad thing about it is that obviously it has, it's had its cinema run in the UK, and that means there will be a physical release probably early next year in the UK, and then it'll just get pirated to fuck yeah, right all over the internet. I'll, yeah. I'll just import it from yeah. one of the, I mean, the good UK shops. I'll I'll I'll, pay, I'll do my part. I will support yeah. the film. Yeah, but, but it will be. I'll end up. I'll end up on every torrent site out there, and that's that's this that's the sad fact. If I was eight, I know why twenty four is holding it back. But at this point, with the the way things are, I'd be doing everything in my power to get out there and get some money off it. You know, anything like get up on iTunes, get up on Amazon, get up on Google and YouTube and all that. Just get out there. You know, and just accept that you have because they have other movies that were supposed to come out this year that didn't. Um, that was at the Green King, which looked really fucking interesting. It looked like a horror version of Arthur's Camelot, um, which was also kind of like this uh, touted as a, a kind of weird horror movie, which has just disappeared altogether now. I had the kid from um, uh, a what, the, what was the Danny Boyle uh, Indian movie. Ah, fuck. Won all the awards. The, oh, uh, Life of Pot? No, that's uh, no, Ang Lee. That's Ang Lee. So, yeah, you're in the right kind of sphere because that uh, Life of Pot. Slumdog Millionaire? Movie. Slumdog Millionaire. It's got the main kid from that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, that movie was a while ago. Yeah, I can't. So I, I know. I, I can't think of the actor's name, but yeah, he's all grown up and has a, been in a bunch of stuff. It's something Patel. I can't remember what his first name is though. David Patel, maybe. maybe. I thought it was like um, Dash or something, but I, maybe I'm confusing him with Star Wars characters. I'll well, get. To, I'll get to the bottom of this, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's basically it's, it, it looks like a version of Arthur's Camelot, um, and we only got like a couple of teaser trailers. It was supposed to be out in May, and it's now disappeared altogether from any listens so uh like saint Maud got rescheduled but you know the green i'm sure it's the green king i'm sure that's what it's called the green um, knight is the green knight is what that is called dev patel is the actor's name there we go well done um uh, yeah 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 that seems uh interesting and look like the trailer for it looked fucking amazing and that's just vanished as well so oh i suppose the guy who did a ghost story yes that's right yeah yeah, yeah. oh wow um, okay so this oh. is his, this is his next movie. So um, and it'll look fucking great, and it's just been pulled all together with no kind of you know aiming to release it, and it, like it's just disappeared. So an A twenty four like not a big studio, so it doesn't have the you know the money in the bank that like a Universal or a Disney has to say you know what we'll just not do anything this year. 
Like, we'll just hold off. Yeah, we'll just write this one off as a loss and then reschedule things and just we'll just move everything back a year on the table and we'll be fine because we have the reserves to that. 824 doesn't really have that, but at the same time, all the more reason to try and get your movies out there any form that people will pay for rather than the alternative, which we know what that is, which is very much the, it will appear and then everyone will, you know, fucking stream the fuck out of it and not pay for it. And then as a result, it'll eventually find a physical media release and it'll underperform there because everyone watched it. And it, yeah, it's just, it's depressing. Um, and St. Maud is, I've said it before, say it again, if there is one horror movie that you see this year, it is, well, and you're into that sort of horror movie, um, at St. Maud, it's really, really rather exceptional for another first-time female director. So, yeah, you'll get there. As, as soon as I know when it's getting physically uh, physically released in the UK, I will give you the heads up. Um, and I know for a fact that we will have a lot to say about it once you've seen it. Excellent. Um, all right, before we move on to the episodes, Duncan, mm-hmm. uh, we have a couple of questions. First one's a, a quickie. Oh, I love a quickie. Uh, from I know you do. From Xavier <laughs> West, uh, who says, Mr. Watson and Jerry Herring are both going to be murdered by Dave Z. Oh, no. And you can only save one. Oh, don't do this to me. Who do you save? Don't do this. To, I, I, you know what I do? I put, I sacrifice myself so the two of them can live. I know it's not an option, but that's the only way I could live with myself by dying. All right. Well, uh, there's one cowardly response. The- I can't like, like, uh, like, we both know and love Jerry Herring, right? Yes. Like, he's, 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 he's an infectious force to be reckoned with. The podcasting world could not do without Mr. Watson. I think I think he is a keen, sharp, uh, and very relative intellect that is as much needed uh, in the the insane world that we live in just now when it comes to to movie reviews. So yeah, I don't want to choose between them. So I do. I throw myself upon thy sword um, to to save them both. I uh, I take out Dave Z. <laughs> I didn't know that was that. Oh, I yeah, shrewd Boran's uh-huh. eh? All right, so <laughs> moving on. Rayman asks, what would you rather see in 2021? A new John Carpenter film from Blumhouse or Mike Flanagan's shark film for A24? Uh, Mike Flanagan's shark film for A24. And trust me, there's no other answer. That should be the answer. I, like, I, John, like John Carpenter coming back to do something. Like I've seen John Carpenter come back. Unless John, if it was John Carpenter at his most motivated with his best script coming back with to, to do a movie with no studio interference, then you maybe got my you maybe got my intention. But it's going to be compromised. John Carpenter has been away for a long time, and let's be let's be honest. I don't think he really wants to do another movie. I think he talks about it because he's forced on it in the media, but I actually think he wants to do that. I think he's quite happy being a musician now, which is the life he always wanted, weirdly enough. Flanagan doing a short movie, though, for A24. How could you not want that? It's fucking Mike Flanagan. And Sharks. And A24. Yeah, all, all of those things. I agree 100%. Um, I think, I, I think you're right. I think John Carpenter just wants to make music and go on tour and play destiny. And that's and he's fine. Done that. He's done He's done it. He has, listen, there are a few filmmakers that have done as much for the genre as John Carpenter has arguably the, the greatest horror director of all time, 
arguably made the greatest horror film of all time and then surrounded it with just the greatest depictions of nihilism ever captured in cinema right he's the, he's the last punk rock director he's the last guy that can throw up two fingers to the establishment why would i want to see him come back and do another movie you know what i mean compared to mike flanagan who let's be honest right now i don't understand sports ball vernacular but his batting average is really good bo um yeah i think he's at the top of his game for sure like i I still think he's got another gear like after seeing dr sleep now after seeing the extended cut of dr sleep borans though give me that in the cinema what the fuck yeah right this this studio shit i'm talking about where people go well it's too long people won't sit there who would sit through that yeah no one no one fucking showed out to the the dr sleep movie so you know what i mean like was it not nearly enough people showed it to that so if, if you're already in this situation where you don't think a lot of people are gonna just give us the whole fucking thing but anyway i think like after watching that i still think he's got i i i think he's got another gear somewhere and i think we're still to see it but here is a guy who genuinely is fearless he made a movie which is not only a sequel to the Shining book, but Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and somehow managed to take two stories which went off in completely different directions and make them feel like one. Yeah. I don't know of any other director that would have the fucking balls to do that and do it as well as he did. So Flanagan to me, oh. to cast Henry Thompson, uh, Thomas, not Thompson, Henry Thomas as Nicholson, mm. and it works like. Mm. I, I I think all that stuff works just fine. And Alex Esso as Wendy is sure. maybe the shrewdest, <laughs> the shrewdest bit of casting I have ever fucking seen. Because <laughs> she is 100% perfect. And if you told me beforehand, I didn't know she was in it. And if you told me that, so she almost, she's like nigh unrecognizable. Yeah. Um, I, if you told me that beforehand, I would have said, uh, maybe Flanagan's... Maybe losing it a little bit, and now watching, I was like, "No, the man's a fucking genius." Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He really is. He's he's uh, he's maybe the best horror director walking the planet right now. Um, and that I think you could give him anything. That I think he'd deliver gold from anything right now. Give him blood vessel and see what happens. Oh shit! If Mike <laughs> Flanagan did that movie, shit, blood oh, vessel, my God, vampire okay. Nazis ball on a boat in nineteen forty-five. You give him that movie and watch the fucking. Watch, watch the horror fans lose their shit. I mean, look what he did with a limited setting in Hush. Mm. And then you add Nazi vampires to that recipe of yeah. just like, oh, let's just create tension in a confined space. Yeah. Oh, oh man. God, the guy's so good. Ocul- yeah. I, I still say Oculus won the best horror movies of the past 20 years. And- Oculus is brilliant. I mean, that to me is a movie which, like... It's so streamlined. It, like I think that's maybe like like Doctor Sleep feels like a massive production, but when you jump back from that, all these other movies incredibly streamlined and insular, but dealing with huge concepts. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I kind of love about them. He manages to ground everything through not only his cast and his storytelling, but first and foremost his direction. Um, a guy who just like that's like next year when we get to the the teapots. Uh, series on the 2010s i i like flanagan's going to be all over that right from the right from the goal with absentia right through and i you know and and rightly so i think he's one of the the most important voices in the horror cinema right now 
And that's like anything he wants to do. I know he's got his Netflix deal. He's doing stuff with Stephen King, which is great. You know, Stephen King should just keep giving them stuff and they should just keep doing things together. But whenever he decides to go off and do one of his own projects, you know, I'm genuinely excited about it. I now know that you could give him any King thing and he'll do it. He'll do it really, really, really well. So that's not a test for me anymore. That's just he's a big fan and he's getting the opportunity. Very much like Mick Garris, but just like, can direct the movie on like Mick, Mick Garris. Uh, you know I mean? Mick Garris, if he was wildly talented. <laughs> yeah, if we, could, um, if we could back up what he actually says. Um, but, you know, I know he can do that. So anything that's mentioned, I get a bit giddy, but I'm not like, oh, you know, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I can't wait to see what Spinny puts on this King Classic because I know he can do it. To me, the exciting news is anytime Mike Flanagan gets attached to something I'm not aware of or anytime he says he wants to do something. Right. Because that to me is the, the, you know, that's the point that you should be sitting there going, and like studios should be feeling the same way. Like they should be sitting there going, right, Mike Flanagan wants to do this, right? How do we get him into a contract to get that movie out? Yeah, he needs to do, like, somebody's going to back up a, a truckload of money and give him, like, Doctor Strange 3. Mm. Mm. You know, something like yeah. that where he gets his big, he gets his big Marvel payday. Yeah. Uh, th- which is fine with me, like, by all means. Speaking of PDs, yes, Borans, though, uh, let's let's do this and then let's talk about Lovecraft Country. I love how we were like we're going to keep it concise, yeah, tight, but, and then don't. And get, yeah, and never happens. And I've uh, been drinking, so you can blame me. Um, but right. Ben Wheatley, yes, directing the Meg Two. Fucking what? I mean, I, I'm all <laughs> for it. Who comes up I, with that? Who comes up with? Who sits in Hollywood and says the kill this guy? Yeah, let's get him to direct the Meg Two with Jason. St- Right. What, no, no. I, I, I didn't see that one. What else has he done? How about High Rise? Have you seen High Rise? That guy? Huh. Uh, that's not ringing a bell. What about a in field same, in England? Have you in seen? The same, the same time frame that he's going to be doing that movie, he's going to be doing Tomb Raider 2. Fuck. Good job, Ben Wheatley, man. He's earned it, man. He's earned the fucking PD, but... Like, like people were talking about how the Meg, you know, like, they're like, oh, look at him, he's sold out and all the rest of it. And I was like, you know, a Tomb Raider movie with Ben Wheatley directing it? That's interesting to me because that's in the forest. It's fucking weird. You know, you can, like, play with mythologies and, like, make it a bit edgier and all the rest. I'm totally done with that. The Meg thing makes zero fucking sense to me. And then, whilst everyone else has been, <laughs> well, everyone else has been fucking around, right? Everyone's been fucking around and all the rest. He has secretly shot a horror movie, which is done. Yeah. Right, and it's it's coming out next year, uh, and it's all set in the woods. You've got me on board. It's got Reese Shearsmith, who's the guy that does a creepy face in a field in England, coming at the tent mm-hmm. in the main role, and it's about you know the forest trying to consume someone, and uh, that, that's like Wheatley's done that. He's done it quickly on the cheap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I will have that movie. I will go and see the fucking Meg too, and scratch my head at, at how this has happened. Uh, and I'll go and see the Tomb Raider movie, albeit I'll have to go and check it what that first Tomb Raider movie looked like. Um, Let me, the only ones I've seen is the Jolie ones. I've never seen any of the... I'll tell you, the one that they did with uh, Alicia Vikander, I think is her yeah. name, or Vikander, um, not terrible, and Walton Goggins is the villain... Oh, well, that's all I need to know then. And he's really good in it because uh, <laughs> he's a good at everything, boy. <laughs> well, because his whole his whole deal, like every vil- every good villain has mm-hmm. that hook that's just like, okay, I totally understand that character now. Yeah. And his deal is he's looking for the he's been hired to find 
this artifact. Yeah. But when he was hired to find it, he didn't think it was going to take so goddamn long. (laughs) And he's been in the jungle for a long time. And all he wants to do is go home. And Mm -hmm. he's sick of uh, uh, Laura Croft's shit and keeping (laughs) him from this artifact so he can get the fuck home. He doesn't care about the artifact. Doesn't care like what what the the business who hired him is going to do with it. Just wants to do his job and go the fuck home. And he's the, he's the Wolford Brimley of villains. He, yeah, he's goddamn it, Lord Croft out here with a bunch of goddamn bow and arrow, <laughs> shooting red barrels, making everything blow up, knocking men off goddamn rope bridges and shit. <laughs> I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I'm all right. I just want to go home. He's doing a sequel to that, Wheatley's. And like, so yeah, yeah, it's great to see him arrive at that station and all that. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see the reaction if those movies flop and who's who's blamed because if you're blaming <laughs> if you're blaming Ben Wheatley, the kill list and a field in England guy for not making your Meg two movies successful. Um, yeah, I, I can't actually, but yeah, weird. Oh, so many amazing directors just now that, like, there's, yeah, I can't wait to see where they all go. Uh, and speaking of, this is what the call segue, ladies and gents, and I shouldn't have same posted, but speaking of amazing voices and mm. talents, just being able to do whatever the fuck they want, let's turn our attention to some Lovecraft Country. It, if I may, right before <gasps> we're we're gonna jump Are in. You derailing my segue. No, no, I I kind of am because I have a proposal for Meg Two by Ben Wheatley, <laughs> and I think once I tell you, you're gonna love it. Does does the shark go into a tent and come out with? No, 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 no. no. I've a maniacal smile while seventies psychedelia plays in the background. La, la, la. <laughs> Look, I've already used that joke, Duncan. This is a whole new dumb idea. (laughs) (laughs) I gave I gave you the B material dumb idea on Facebook. You've been holding on to that A material. Drop it. I'm sandbagging the stupid, Duncan. Is what I'm doing. I'm sandbagging the stupid. Oh, that's a T-shirt. Um, Correct. Sandbagging the stupid since 2014. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So. Uh, it, it's all done from the point of view of the shark. Mm-hmm. It is 80% free of dialogue. The only dialogue <laughs> you hear are the screams and shouts of horror as it appears in each shit. And then eventually somebody kills it and you're mm. just as surprised as the fucking shark is when it happens. Yeah. They, they kill it and they eat his brain and then the shark possesses that person, which then continues a rampage. Oh, that's pretty good. Like a Meg oh, X no. or a, a Meg goes to hell. <laughs> yeah, a Meg possession movie. A lot of Friday the Thirteenth. By the way, I did watch Friday the Thirteenth uh, last night. Um, the original, the, the OG Friday the Thirteenth, had been a while. It's since a real fucking good movie. Real it is a really good, good fucking movie. I I yeah. had a good time with it. Um, it does. It doesn't force you to kind of <laughs> put your your expectations of the ability of a, a frail old woman to throw people through windows, though. <laughs> I what I like most about <laughs> fucking Robocop some windows. Yeah, well, you know, Pamela Voorhees is thick. She's got a lot of core strength. It's like that bit where like Robocop appears, like the first appearance of Robocop where he's in 
he's in the fucking the petrol station and the guy goes running past him and puts his arm out and the next thing he sees the guy through the window that's pamela Voorhees. yeah i can hear him now freeze creep <laughs> mommy mommy freeze creep he would say um all right but enough of that yes remember when you were segueing that so it's yes. episode seven. Oh <laughs> man i don't know how we're gonna be able to do well it's just gonna get weirder from here so start ourselves in folks yeah and the episode is entitled i am mm. i am what i am no that was the last episode that was the musical episode get to fuck yes right, sorry there we go so we we open on hippolyta because remember, mm-hmm. the last episode was all a Gia origin story. Yeah, just that, the, like, the, once again, classic way of Lovecraft Country doing things. End of episode four, she's making a fucking beeline to Arkham, and we're going to we're gonna sort some shit out, Bo Ransdell. That's what we're going to do right now, up in this bitch. And it was like that, whoa, 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 whoa. Whole episode dedicated to, uh, to Korea. <laughs> and then we'll come back to it, maybe. You won't know when until now. Yeah. And and so we see her going through some notes uh and and examining this orrery. Mm, orrery. Orrery. Yeah, it's a rural orrery. <laughs> and and then it goes uh 3 days ago. Mhm. All right, and Hippolyta is standing in the ruins of the estate in Devon County. And and she sees like this sun symbol that she saw on the orrery, mm, and orrery, orrery. <laughs> and then she also finds a scrap of D's comic. Yep. And she's like, "Well, motherfucker, George was a hundred percent here then." Yeah. So he definitely was here. Unlike the story that has been, well, for lack of a better word, peddled to me by the people that came back. Right, my so-called fucking friends mm-hmm. all Nephew, told me, yeah, brother-in-law, Ugh. and that woman that's just hanging around. Don't know what her relationship is. I think she may be doing things to my nephew, um, but I don't <laughs> think about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not where I live. Um, but so uh, she, they, you cut back to her in in this room with her notes, and she's getting pissed off because she can't figure out the this orrery. Mm-hmm. And she ends up just knocking it off uh, the desk and then lying on her bed and just like, God damn it, I can't figure out. And kind of talking to George, who isn't there, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, George, I can't figure it out. And he's like, well, just just <laughs> use the force, God damn it. And <laughs> A Jedi ghost projection of George. Uh-huh. Is that what yeah. <laughs> Voiced by Wilford Brimley. That's right. It's like, <laughs> this is the inception of fucking creative callback references here. And so she, oh. she when when she sees it from this tilted perspective, she's like, wait a second, Eureka, I think I have it. And she ends up like twisting some planets until things click and then it starts glowing and spinning. And then uh, a key is revealed. Mm-hmm. And on this plate... Of the orrery. Orrery. <laughs> is, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just forget the vowels and just <laughs> plow ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it's like uh, uh, slow down, uh, uh, like a tiger roar. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's about... <laughs> this is all stupid. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> On the plate, Duncan, it says every beginning is in time and every limit of extension in space. Mm-hmm. And then it has some coordinates below that. And so we cut away from Hippolyta. Because mm-hmm. we now know that she has some shit to do. Right. Key. She's At got those coordinates. <laughs> yeah, she's got a, somewhere to be. Yeah. And Hippolyta with the coordinates and the key and the observatory later on you got to oh, you got to have coordinates you literally kicked off my watch there my watcher says <laughs> astronomical observatory sites by latitude and longitude uh, and it's given me a full list of them you somehow triggered my watch yeah to you're... bring up a list of fucking coordinates and so mr mcleish the missile will be there in 45 seconds. You See don't you have time to run. <laughs> <laughs> See if you've accidentally triggered off a nuclear strike from my, my Apple Watch. <laughs> like, on, I don't know, let's say, a country that we don't get on with, which is any country in the world. Um, <laughs> right. At this stage. Uh, I don't know. I'm blaming you, and I've got recorded evidence of it. Unless you don't post this, you better post this. Oh, the, all this will be edited out. This will be on Patreon. You want to know who started the apocalypse? Two bucks a month, motherfucker. I know I know. there's no one left to pay that two bucks a month because apocalypse, but it's still there behind a fucking paywall. That's right. Also, uh, who killed Kennedy? The, the Patreon is a den of secrets is what I'm saying. Oh man, there's somewhere out there some fan fiction that reveals that uh, Doc from Back to the Future accidentally killed Kennedy, and I want to see that movie. <laughs> Great Scott, <laughs> it's fucking... Marty, it's your president. <laughs> Back into the left. Back into the left. <laughs> <laughs> Great Scott, it's his brains. <laughs> Back into the left, the future. Uh, that's the name of that series. <laughs> oh. oh, Duncan. Kennedy is a national hero. He is. It... Sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. I do actually feel a little bit, a little bit queasy about what we've done here, tarnishing the good name of <laughs> President Kennedy. He been I'm Well, I uh, always liked a good joke. Um, anyway, so Ruby and Extina are mm. in the the secret basement room that Ruby, you know, was like, what the fuck is down there? And yep. it, it turns out what's down there are the vegetative bodies of William and the racist lady that Extina has been milking for potions. Oh, I can be used a different one. Oh, well, I mean, that's kind of what's going Yeah, just tapping them for potions, for blood. <laughs> And She's got a different image if she was being milked. And, uh, to be honest with you, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> so, and Ruby is like, you've been lying to me. This all sucks. And, you know, this is all about your revenge for William. And, and you're just using me as a pawn. And Extina is like, no, it's way more about like, <laughs> look, my father was the leader. <laughs> <Nuh-uh>. <laughs> 
of this Order of the Ancient Dawn? And I never even lied to you. I mean, look, maybe it was William who said those words, but they were mine. And Ruby's like, I don't know. And she's like, look, you could be super powerful. Mm. And all it and and Ruby's like, all right, but you gotta you gotta quit fucking around and stop lying to me and tell me the truth. And Exine uh, is like, well, listen, sister, the truth is, it has to do with missing pages from the book of names and <laughs> your family. And, and and so we that's where we leave them for the time being. There's some, we'll come back to them at some point. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of Ruby and Extina stuff through these episodes, and I love all of it. I'm here for all. Oh, of all it. of it is the, the, the. I've actually like very much moved into the camp of everything with them on the screen is just the best. <laughs> like, right. You know, like their interactions are just br- one in the next episode in particular where we go through a huge gulf of emotions. Yeah. Kind of horrible, torrid sex scene in the aftermath of it, and it is just primo fucking acting. Like it's just like top level acting across the board. Um, but yeah, they they are they they have proved to be a pure delight in this series. However, as you said, Bo, we're going to move on because we have a lot of story to tell here. So. Yeah, there there's a lot of 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 plot that we are getting through both of these episodes. Mm. Well, for half of this episode, and then all of the next one. Yeah, but, half of this episode, and then we go into the cosmos. And trust me, you want to be there when we do. Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> just go ahead and queue up Roundabout by Yes. We'll we'll get there in a second, and then so we cut to this dream that of of Hannah fleeing mm. the estate while it's burning down. Like it's the same dream that Atticus has had a number of times. And, and at first, we think it's Atticus that's dreaming it until we realize. Wait a second, Atticus isn't in this dream. Yeah, it's Letty. And then uh, Letty has a pregnant belly that catches fire, which is not yeah. what you want to see out of your pregnant bellies as a rule. No, I don't think that's what happens. Like Speaking as a father um, and remembering briefly what it was like when my wife was pregnant, I just can't remember spontaneous combustion happening in or around the gut. I just can't remember that happening. Huh. All right. Well, good to know. Um, and <laughs> I'm calling shenanigans on this one. This Lovecraft Country scene, Bo. Cheers, cheers to Lovecraft Country. <laughs> I I I like the fact that like Letty is so pregnant that Attic like she can have Atticus's dreams now. You know? Well, yeah. This is this is the this is the ind- the indicator is that she's now and we'll get further information on this, but is, is that she's with child. And as a result of that doomed to now carry the fucking weird, weird curse line of dreams of an event that happened generations ago. Right. Like and by proxy. And I like the fact, like we'll get to it here in a second, but I like the fact that the show kind of introduces this idea. Like as soon as her belly catches fire, you're like, eh, baby. And, yeah. and I like the fact that within this episode, the show's just like, that's right, baby. Um, like they don't fuck around with it, which I appreciate. But, uh, anyway, so Letty wakes up and goes downstairs to find Atticus downstairs, just staring out the window of the boarding house. Mm -hmm. And then they immediately just start kissing, which I appreciate the fact that like, okay, they're just a couple now. Yeah. They do, they do, they do things like they've, they got past that awkwardness, Bo. Yes. They have indeed listened to DBCC advice and they were fucking Mm -hmm. like they should have been. 
And now that they've done that, there are a couple. That's how things work. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Yes. It is nice to see the progression of this relationship. Mm. And we get a, a ton of info kind of dumped here where Letty says that she's been having these similar dreams to Atticus, but pointedly does not mention the fact that her belly was on fire. Because that's a telltale sign of pregnancy. I don't know if you know about that. Right. <laughs> I ain't going to tell him about my burning belly. And then, <laughs> and then they kind of deduce that Hannah is trying to communicate with them in some way. Mm-hmm. And when Letty says, yeah, she was holding a book, they're like, what if she got out with, the, like everybody's chasing around for pages, but what if Han- uh, Hannah got out with the whole book of names? Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, I just don't know that much about my mom's side of the family. Not since the ride in Tulsa, he says. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, look, Extina's going after all these damn pages. We're going to go get the whole damn book. Hashtag end game bull. Mm-hmm. Way to set up a finale. <laughs> and then there's a, a, a really yeah. fun scene here. I was going to say that's the classic Lovecraft Country thing as well. It's like they set up the end of the season in episode seven, they're like, we're not going to touch this now right. <laughs> until episode 10, because that's how we do things. Give you a little taster, and then you wait a couple of episodes, and then we deliver. And trust me, when we deliver, you're hungry enough for it that it will taste like the best food you've ever had. Right. So, it's gonna, yes. when you see it, it's going to blow your goddamn mind. Trust us. And it will. It will. <laughs> and I, it at will. This stage, at this stage, having not seen the last two episodes of the season, I am 100% expecting to come away from this being like, Yep, best show ever. Uh, give all the awards. Um, I'm now dedicating my second child to Lovecraft Country. In fact, uh, my second child will be called either Atticus or Letty. Um, that is my that's my my gift to the show because that is how much they landed to stop the landing. And if my wife's belly doesn't burst into spontaneous flames, um, she's not pregnant, even if she starts the show. Yeah, <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> Duncan, I, I, I'm pregnant again. Hast thou belly burst into flames? It has not. And you're not pregnant. I'm no doctor, uh, but I know that means you're not pregnant. What do you mean you're leaving me? What do you mean you're leaving me? (laughs) Come back. (laughs) Hashtag hot flash. Hashtag burning belly. I think that's I think that's where the the term hot flash comes from. (laughs) That that's my understanding. But again, I don't have kids. No, and I am no etymologist. All right. And so I don't even know. So there's a a scene I really like here mm-hmm. where Montrose is waking up and the last time we saw him there was like the big uh you know celebration like the big drag show with his, uh the bartender Sammy and mm-hmm. the big kiss and the dancing and so he wakes Sisters up. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Yeah, I was like, this he was really... getting down and dirty, and I loved how happy it was. Yeah, it was really empowering and all that. And then, so Sammy's at his place making breakfast, mm-hmm. and they're kind of doing some morning chatter, like, hey, you know, uh, you know like. Uh, it's the first time that Sammy's been allowed to stay over. Mm-hmm. And Montrose is kind of giving some shit about that of like, you know, Sammy's in a, a good mood because he let him stay over and they're just kind of ribbing each other a little bit. Yep. And, He's making them breakfast yeah. as well. And then uh, they're, they're eating breakfast and Sammy 
lets it drop that he ran into uh, somebody on the street and kind of tells him about this exchange that they had um, just kind of chatting. And Montrose is like, hey, that's my neighbor. Mm. And starts to get real clammed up. And then he's just like, look at this bacon. (laughs) Or actually, according to our show mythology, hey, mister, look at this bacon. And these grits are total shit. And then Sammy... It reminds me of that scene from Naked Gun 33 in a third prison. The prison. <laughs> and this one here tastes like gruel. And this Chateau Lafitte, 1973, supposed to be served at 19 degrees Celsius. This is more like room temperature. <laughs> so, so Sammy Duncan... It's like, uh, yep. what are you going to do? Out that. I yeah. love this. It fucking, like, listen, every time we get, like, close and we're, you know, you're about to let yourself go, man, you find every fucking excuse in the book to cast up some sort of wall in front of me. So is it just going to be about breakfast? Is that where we're going to go? And my- <laughs> Yeah, the exchange is him saying, you're going <laughs> to complain the coffee is too wet? And Montreux says, nah, too much sugar in it. Yeah, and Sammy is like, you know what? You can go be crazy on your own time. I'm out of here. Which, yeah, the man's got the patience of a fucking sphinx. Like, he, yeah, right. Like, hey, if you're going to have a tantrum, I'm just not going to stick around for it. You'll come back later. And then, yep. you know, we'll hash you'll all spit this out, you'll, Yeah, you'll spit in your dick, shove up my ass, and then we'll be fine. Right, right. It's, that you know, happened in the show. Watch the show. Yeah, I like, like being crassy. That happened. It was amazing. It we was, yeah. loved it. We, we fucking bonded. We're closer now as a podcasting couple, having watched that scene. It's fucking and, amazing. And discussed it and, and been celebratory of it. Oh, yeah. And oh, it's amazing. So Sammy is storming out, and Montrose is like, Wait a second, mister. And <laughs> chases after him and mm. runs right into Letty and Atticus. Oh, no. And Sammy stops for a second. It's just like, oh, y'all yeah. have a good day now. And just kind of strolls <laughs> Bye. on. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you guys have some things to talk about. And, and Atticus and Montrose really have it out where, you know, Atticus is accusing him of being gay, which he is. And Montrose is, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's true. Specifically ask him if his mom knew about it. Yeah. And, and Montrose is like, yes, your mother knew. <laughs> and Atticus like storms off and, and, uh, son's impression. I love how Montrose says, why y'all come here? Yeah. And it's this like, why why are you blowing my world up you know it is just this pain (laughs) like this sucks like i at first i now like the guy that i'm in love with just stormed out of here and i gotta apologize for that now my son is probably never gonna talk to me again you know and there's also there's also that part of um where you know like and the lead up to this uh, like sammy's never stayed over He's never really let himself go that way before because in his head, the repercussions are the very things that are happening right now. Yeah, yeah. He, and he's, he, he, yeah, right. he had that moment of weakness, I would say moment of embracing who you actually are, 
which is never a weakness. It's the greatest fucking courage you can ever have. Um, but that moment of of weakness in his mind where he allowed some, you know, that, that part of him to actually be part of his life and the worst things that could have happened in his imagination are now unfolding in front of his face. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Absolutely being punished for doing the the thing that he most dearly wants to do. Yeah. And yeah, and it yeah, it totally blows up. But mm. so uh Letty goes chasing after Atticus, who's outside just pacing and fuming. And um she tells him, like, look, I found out that one side of your mom's side of the family or that uh, one of his mom's friends on mm-hmm. the, on his mom's side of the family survived the Tulsa riots and they have a lead in St. Louis. And while she's given him this information, Atticus is just in front of the camera coming to terms with the fact that Montrose's beatings were not about him being soft. You know, he says, like, he always told me he was beating me so that I wasn't soft. Mm-hmm. And all all along, it was him. Yeah. And we've, like, we, we spoke about that way, way, way back when I think it was revealed that that might be an issue is not only is like Montrose grown up with, and we get into a really good discussion in the next episode, but not only is Montrose grown up in a time which is unforgiving to the race that he has, but specifically added on top of that, the, the you know, his, his sexual preference is also something that is deeply, you know, unacceptable for the time. So it's, it's like he's got a twofer when it comes to you know, being ostracized or being the, you know, Considered less human, which is the yeah. the horrible the horrible fact. So of course, you know he's having to deal with all that shit, like on his shoulders, and not that I am in any way, shape, or form um, advocating it. But it speaks very much to his actions when it comes to Atticus. The beatings are specifically that. It's the fact that he can't, you know, he has to play, you know, the the husband in a relationship where there is no love. Um, uh, and his, I, I, I'm gonna. Uh, there's not. We romantic get to later love, on. We get yeah. to. There's a different sort of love. Different yes. sort of love. Right, but he. Uh, not, but not he's filled with rage. Love. He's a furious yeah. dude because because he can't be who he is. Exactly. Exactly. He can't. He can't be true to himself, and that festers away. And when he looks at his kid, uh, who may not be his kid, but we'll get to that. When he looks at his his kid, although I'm 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 I might be moving slightly away from that. Um, I st- idea. Uh, I, I I'm still, still on. Are, but... I'm still on Team George, but yeah. But I think it's clear that no matter what, he clearly loves Atticus. Yeah, it it does. It it does. I, and I think it like in his weird warp brain, what he's doing to quote unquote toughen up his son is right in his right in his head, and that's you know. It, I don't think he understands the fucking mental scarring that he's caused that, I guess. And I think it's like, you, it's fucking a brilliantly acted scene here. There isn't the actor that plays Atticus again. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, because this is a uh, Jonathan... Jonathan Ma- Majors. That's right. And, and He I, is incredible in this scene. Like, absolutely jaw-droppingly incredible because you go through the full spectrum of him actually starting to piece together these different parcels of his entire life with a brand new lens a brand new context and it's fucking horrific to see 
Yeah, and, and there's a, a a scene in the next episode where I even made the note like we need to call him out more often for because mm. we're always talking about like Journey Smollett and uh you know uh, uh Jamie Chung recently and you know we there's a new he's, spotlight actor every yeah, week but he he is really these two episodes in particular seven and the, there's a whole dialogue very early in episode eight which I think is kind of fucking incredible with him as well. And I think, well, once again, the show's comfortable enough to say, right, he's, he is our quote-unquote main character, right? But we are happy to spend a huge amount of time with these other characters because they are of such a high acting quality and their stories are equally, if not more interesting than Atticus's story as the through line, that we can do that. And the beauty of the show is it can be so confident to do that, but then when we have to come back to the Atticus story, you don't miss a beat, like he delivers the show delivers on these performances and he's phenomenal in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. And like the show does high melodrama at times mm -hmm. and, and the reason that plays so well and sits so easily alongside all the social commentary and stuff is, is because every actor is just fucking killing it. Oh, so that's uh, as, uh, it is the embarrassment of riches you talk about across the board. There's not one performance I've seen in the show that I don't think is great. Yeah. And all right, speaking to, of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Swinging on. And Hippolyta <laughs> is hitting the road. Like She's now that. packing up our Woody. Right. And Ruby is going to babysit D, who, um, you know, Hippolyta is like, hey, let's do the checklist for the trip. And D doesn't want to. She's mm -hmm. upset. And um, then Ruby sees Atticus and Letty uh, coming down the road. As Hippolyta is hitting the road, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Hey, can we borrow Woody to go to St. Louis?" And she's like, "Fuck no!" <laughs> and they're like, "What do you mean no?" And she's like, "I mean no. I've got to take a trip. This isn't your car." Which is the literally my thoughts throughout this entire show since it started. It's like everyone just gets access to Woody in their fucking car. Yeah, and so. She not only leaves, she runs the, uh, the stop sign on her way out of there. Mm -hmm. And Letty uh, stays behind to talk to Ruby while Atticus is going to go arrange for a bus to St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a nice moment between Letty and Ruby here where Letty, um, Letty apologizes and she says, look, you know, I, I'll, all my life I've been trying not to be our mother. And, and that's just what I did. I was trying to play you and I don't, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. And Ruby says, you know, as long as I knew our mother, the one thing she ne never did was apologize. Apologize. Yeah. So yeah. you're not your mother at that stage. And it's, it's a nice reconciliation between the characters. Yeah. It's not like they're not rushing into each other's arms, but like the chill is starting to thaw. Yeah. And Plus, at this stage, we know that both of them have knowledge the other one doesn't know, and they're all fucking linked. <laughs> yes, right. And and I like that. Again, we'll get into it the next episode, but I like the fact that this show doesn't dick around with that too much. Yeah, it's I, like it would frustrate me as well if we had to go through another four, you know, another four episodes. Like the the last episode is the reveal. You know what I mean? Fuck that. Right. You know, like, I like the fact that there's, we'll get to it, but there's a scene between Letty and Ruby where it's just like, we're just going to come clean. Mm -hmm. And and it's really nice. But and anyway, so Hippolyta is now uh, on the road to Kansas, which is where the coordinates are leading, or the quadnets. 
and quadnets. um got to quadnet and then she sees this uh black woman on a motorcycle mm-hmm. cruising by and hippolyte gets so excited and is like waving and you know it's just seeing this woman on her own it's freedom yeah free and 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 having this like you can tell like hippolyte is the kind of person that's like oh she's on an adventure you mm-hmm. know and and she opens up her lunch and finds that d has in fact packed a comic that she's hidden in there which she didn't give her to hit the road and mm-hmm. uh it's called orinthia blue is the the name of the the comic mm-hmm. um and it's a, a sci-fi comic duncan which will become Ooh. very important later uh, it has a woman in space, mm-hmm. hmm. kind of a bubbly space helmet and stuff. Yeah, kind of the the, the kind of fifties design of kind of sci-fi. It's yeah, a, hmm. that kind of retro pop art sci-fi kind of look. It's very cool. Hmm. And hmm. and so then we go to St. Louis for uh, the television show that I want, which is. <laughs> Atticus getting off the bus and meeting Miss Ellsbury, who is a friend of Atticus's cousin, Ethel. Mm-hmm. And Ethel and uh, Mrs. Ellsbury um, just kind of fell in to uh, friendship with one another because of their husbands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as they got older and their husbands died, they were just like, you know what? We're just going to hang out with each other until this thing runs out. How about that? <laughs> And so they were close friends and, and she recalls stories about a family book, but she says, I'm pretty sure that got burned up in Tulsa. Another mention of the Tulsa riots. Mm-hmm. And she does say though, like, Hey, I've got a picture of your cousin. So wait right here. I'll be right back. And then the show leaves her and Atticus to go to Mayfield, Kansas, where Hippolyta arrives at a remote observatory, which is one of the most fucking rocking things you can write when taking notes on a show <laughs> is that the, the character has followed the coordinates of this or all the way to this remote space observatory in the middle of nowhere in yeah. Kansas. It's a sentence that's written specifically for Duncan and Bo to have fun with. You know what right. I mean? It's like followed the coordinates to the orrery in the middle of a remote setting. Yeah, and it's it's that. it's the kind of plot stuff that it's very pulpy and kind of silly, but it's so mm. fun and wonderful. And I that love fits, a show like this. Fits the show like yeah. e glove. Yeah, it like right. It fits the tone, the pulpy tone of it, and that's mm. what I love. Is there's not a show that has this kind of the, this kind of spirit of like yeah, we're going to be kind of audacious and, and sometimes borderline exploitative, mm-hmm. but that's just kind of the nature of the show. We're, we're the kind of show where we're going to get gooey with the effects and there's going to be a, an abandoned space observatory and shit yeah, like it, that. It's so It good. reminds me, and it's not, it's not in the same level and it is a, a really like kind of out there comparison, but when you think of things like the X-Files or you think of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like it, it, fundamentally at their core, the show, you know what the show is, you know what you're getting into, but that doesn't mean that episodes can't experiment with completely different tones and different styles of storytelling, but always feel intrinsically at the core that's what the show is, and that's what Lovecraft Country has done from the start. It's taking different aspects, it's taking down different roads. We went kind of Goonies action adventure esque at times, but first and foremost, always feels like Lovecraft Country. You always return to that, 
um, as it as its kind of core. And even in this episode, which is about to go fifties sci-fi pulp, pulp's the best word for it because it's very pulpy. Yeah. And um, never loses its through line of this is Lovecraft country. Um, and I think that's I think that's great. Like you, you can sometimes push things. It's such a fine line between pushing things in a fun and playful way into a genre, which, or even your interpret interpretation of a genre, which could be perceived as kind of a bit cringy. And Lovecraft Country takes it always right to that edge, but never over it. And I think that's that to me is really clever filmmaking. Uh, and TV show writing is you know exactly what that line is and you know how far you can push against that line. And when she rolls up on that, and like I had in the back of my head, because you mentioned that a couple of episodes ago, um, that you had a theory about time travel. And so I was just like, all right, so they time travel from here. Um, that's literally what I had before she even stepped foot inside the observatory. I was like, right, so this is a time travel machine. Um, and like in the back of my head, it's like, right, both said, there's a chance that George is going to come back and all the rest. Like, I, I I had this all kind of set out. Uh, I didn't have it set out in a way which makes sense in the next episode. Uh, and I'm not discrediting some of your theories from earlier on in the season. I don't think it is mole people like I thought it was in every show. Um, always mole people. Um, mole people. Mole people. <laughs> Taste like mole. Look like people. <laughs> But like you know, it is like I I was excited because like at this point all bets are off. If she can time travel, she can get this machine working in time travel. All bets are fucking off. Right. On what we can do, and I couldn't have predicted where we would go with this. Right. It took. Right. It took my expectation of like, oh, we're gonna have an honest to goodness time machine. It was Mm -hmm. like, what if we have a universe machine? Oh, well, fuck me. All right, sorry, Lovecraft country. Obo, obo, you're thinking so two dimensional. Let's think three dimensional. Right. Yeah, yeah, you dumb motherfucker. Like it's a, it's like when uh, uh, Jean Luc Picard has to deal with like people from the twentieth century on Next genera- Generation. <laughs> he's just like, oh well, you're all just horribly stupid, aren't you? <laughs> no, we have no need of money here. We, we. <laughs> it turns out that that was a a bunch of bullshit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cap- out- Capitalism was horrible. Yes. <laughs> Turns out when you take all those things away that make you compete against each other and instead work for the greater good of humanity collectively as a group, which some people may call socialism, uh, good things happen. Yeah. <laughs> but so. <Weird. laughs> so- it's that it's attitude is what we're getting at. <laughs> but anyway, so we cut back to Chicago for a second where Letty and D and D's friends are playing cards mm-hmm. and Ruby and Letty have uh, another little talk in the kitchen where Ruby, like Letty is like, Hey, where have you been staying? And Ruby's like, Oh, you know, whatever. Hey, uh, what about Atticus <laughs> and you? And, uh, oh, you, you know, whatever, let's change the subject right now. Yeah. <laughs> And Letty's like, oh, you know, he's a lot of help around the house. And and uh, there's a really good Ruby like, mm-hmm, I bet you can use that kind of help around the house. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a moment where Letty is like really hungry where she's like, oh, I've been hot all day and want to eat deviled eggs or some shit. And um, Ruby <laughs> is like, yeah, the only time, you know, mama ever felt like that was when she was pregnant. And, <laughs> and Letty's like, hey. 
<laughs> I've got a poop. Yeah. <laughs> and so we we cut back to uh, Atticus in St. Louis, where it, when they're going through all these family albums, um, he sees a dude that has the same birthmark that he does. Mm. And he uh, and oh, Letty calls to say that she found the orrery, and the coordinates, the coordinates, coordinates. And while Letty is kind of filling uh, Atticus in on this, Ruby is kind of eavesdropping, and there's a spy in the house (laughs) of love tonight. And meanwhile, back in the rest of the episode, um, Hippolyta, look, sometimes you got to sing a little prince on this show. Um, Hippolyta finds uh, this weird machine inside the observatory, which has Mm -hmm. a a keyhole uh, just begging for this fancy key of hers. And so she inserts the key and turns it, and this Back to the Future LED <laughs> clock starts flipping around. <laughs> and and Hippolyta is, like, making notes about planetary rotation and shit and working out other coordinates. Coordinates. And then, <laughs> and then she enters some stuff and hits this dial on the machine. And as she's working, you can hear some people entering the building. Yeah, they were like, "Hey, somebody's down there," and they're clearly uh, sent by Lancaster. You know, they're uh, some of his goons from the police force, Mm -hmm. and they're like, "Hey, what are you doing down here? And what's going on with this machine?" And 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 Hippolyte's like, "Uh, "I don't know. This is real fucked up." Uh, (laughs) And um, Atticus, (laughs) yeah, because Letty told on the phone that she found that that. The orrery was or uh, was with <laughs> was with Hippolyta, and that's probably where she's went off. Um, and like so, Atticus like somehow manages to. I don't know how close those places are that they went to. So, well, St. Louis is Missouri. Kansas is right next door. Yeah, so and, close, yeah. So feasible, maybe yeah, feasible. Ah. Let's let's not let's not let's not poke at this, right? Uh, but yeah, just as the police are about to do what police do to black people in this time, and weirdly enough, still to this day, um, they're about to they're about to shake her down and potentially shoot her. And Atticus comes in to save the day, bo, right. but in Atticus's way, which usually means messy and causes more trouble than saving. Right, like he he's, he's wrestling a dude for the gun, and the gun goes off. And it hits the machine, which really starts spinning up at this point. Yeah, it just starts flipping through. Very similar to if you've got a, a kind of projector and you have slides of your holiday that you've been on and you're just flipping through them. <laughs> yeah. Very much like that. Like one minute we're here, then we're here, then we're here. And it keeps flipping through them in quick succession. Yeah. And uh, one of these police officers gets uh, gets the boot. Yeah, tossed uh, into and, it of just like, hey, yeah. enjoy maybe Antarctica. And well, that's then, what it looked like, and I was like, "Oh, he's dead." Yeah, like, he's he's Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining, and he's like, "Ah, he's so fucking frozen." Um, and then Hippolyta straight straight up shoots the other cop, which seems like an overreaction, but uh, I'll let her off with it. 
<laughs> and then uh, before Atticus can prevent it from happening, Hippolyta gets sucked into this rift in the middle of nothing. Yeah, and but he he goes as, he goes in after as well, right? Does he think? He, but we don't we don't get anything to do with that until the very end of this episode. And then they don't make us wait for an explanation in the next episode, and it's so fucking worth it. But we're now going to follow us. Oh, it blew my fucking tits off, Bo. Honestly, I was sitting, I was titless in, in episode number eight when they linked all this back, and I was like, yes, the prophecy has been fulfilled. Right. Um, it's not just bullshit. They didn't lost this. Um, yeah. So <laughs> then they didn't lost this. They flashed the coordinate up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And it's Hippolyta standing on, this is going to be my powers of description at their worst, standing <laughs> on an alien landscape. And there's this big monolithic structure in the distance. Mm-hmm. And then some robots appear. And then she wakes up naked in a white room. Yep. Except there are these purple things, that like uh, kind of like the goo from Ghostbusters 2 but purple Mm -hmm. inserted in her wrists. And then she finally gets a jumpsuit and is able to put that on. And she is greeted by this alien woman who Amazonian like sized alien woman. And that she's about fucking nine foot tall. And that's before we talk about how tall her Afro is. Right. It's kind of the Fletch joke of he's six, two with the Afro six, eight. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it's that, but it's wide too. And yeah. it borrows heavily. A lot of this stuff does borrows heavily from the Afro futurist movement mm-hmm. that is popularized by people like Sun Ra. Beyonce has done a lot of stuff with this. Rihanna's done a lot of stuff with this. And it's sort of this aesthetic art form uh, that sort of celebrates the integration of technology with much more like organic and primitive. Uh, and by primitive, I just mean, uh, you know, sort of like uh, round, organic uh, yeah. structures and shapes and stuff like that. It's real. It's beautiful. Like, if you want to have a good time, I, like, I, I sent you a couple of pictures. Um, mm-hmm. But just Google Afro, Afrofuturist and just l- scroll through some of that artwork. It's really striking and beautiful. And um, and so a lot of this art style is borrowed from that. Um, but at any rate... This uh, alien uh, is like Hippolyte is like, hey, let me out of here. And the the alien is like, you are not in a prison. Mm-hmm. And then the door closes and Hippolyte is like, God damn it, I am. You're a liar. And but she starts like puzzling out how to get this door open. But as soon as she does, the alien woman is on the other side of it and then just blasts her back into the room. <laughs> And she says, uh, the alien says, name yourself. And Hippolyte is like, what are you talking about? And she says, name where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And she says, where do I want to be? I'd love to be in Paris dancing on stage with Josephine Baker. And then she is, Duncan. Because <laughs> she was like, strap yourselves in. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be going everywhere all at once. And she is being ushered out of the, the backstage onto the stage. Where she is d- dancing as part of a troupe behind Josephine Badly. Baker. Because she doesn't know the move. She's just there. She and, she's a great dancer, but she doesn't know the move. Yeah. 
And she's naturally awful, but she tries. Mm-hmm. And then backstage, uh, Josephine Baker is like, hey, I saw you out there and you really sucked. But I, we've all had those nights. Let me show you some moves. And, and so it's Josephine Baker teaching Hippolyta the moves. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, okay, good job. And then she starts to take off and Hippolyta is following her. <laughs> and then she just closes <laughs> the dressing room door. Like, hey, <laughs> right. Like, hey, look, I'm a star. You know, like I'm not, we had a nice yeah. little moment, but we're not buddies. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's a nice move. I really like it. And then we we have some different coordinates, which appear to be uh, coordinates that are both sort of place and time. Mm-hmm. And Hippolyta is partying with Josephine Baker and dancing, and it's Lady Marmalade playing yep. while you get a montage of her living this kind of libertine lifestyle in, in Paris, being a dancer with Josephine Baker. And at one point, Josephine Baker and Frida Kahlo, the, the painter, are making out on a couch. And then they're toasting. And there's a conversation where uh, Josephine Baker and Hippolyta are talking about, like, the transient nature of life. Mm-hmm. And Hippolyta has this great moment where she says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating my freedom, but I, at the same time, I see everything that I've been robbed of. Yeah, And I'm so angry at white people and me. And and Josephine Baker says, well, what are you going to do with all that anger? Who are you going to be? And, <laughs> and she screams, I am Hippolyta. And then we're in another time and place <laughs> where she seems to be being trained in a tribe of like warrior black women. She's going through the process that Arnold Schwarzenegger goes through in Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. She's been amazing. And it's like this matriarchal society where she fights her trainer over and over again until she becomes a great warrior and can Mm -hmm. finally beat her trainer and then give her spear to the queen of this tribe. And then rock music starts playing, and they oh, go to the scene war. Is fucking amazing! <laughs> it's like literally, it's like this this TV show, man. Honestly, it's it. The song oh. is called "Fire" by Mother's Finest. Look mm. it up. And as this song is playing, they go to war with a bunch of Confederate soldiers. Yep, and like it's this giant battle, and legs are getting cut off, and. People are getting shot and the, and the warriors are making their final stand. And then she says, I am Hippolyta, George's wife. Yep. And then we're back in bed with George. Well, hello, God damn it. <laughs> He's back. And it, back, and back. It's, it's kind of the repeat of the first time we met him. They're in bed yeah. together. And she explains the multiverse to George. She's like, you're not going to believe this shit. Well, if there's anyone that's going to understand and appreciate it and take it straight away on face value, it's George. Yeah. He does. It misses the point slightly, but he he at least hears what she's saying. Doesn't dismiss it. And you're right. And, and, you know, and she loves him. and, 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 like, this is the friend she could celebrate this stuff with and all that. And, um, then he, he's marveling at everything and he says, you know, the, the, the amazing thing to me is after all of this, 
you decided that what you wanted to be was my wife. Yeah, it was a bad move. <laughs> and, all right, so here is the quote. This is the exactly the lines. And it's just a beautiful piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, when I was a kid, I thought I was big enough to, to have every right to name something out of this world. And then I started shrinking myself. And by the time I met you, I'd already gotten so small. And I thought you knew how big I wanted to be. I thought you saw me. But you just stood by and let me shrink myself more for you. And, oh, it's just this, like, beautiful, painful admission. That, yeah, like, because we know that when she was a kid, she did name, yeah. you know, a, a constellation. And that was taken away from her because of her race. And at that point, the, the, the crowning achievement of her youth was taken away. And, of course, at that point, she did. And then she had a kid. And she wasn't allowed to go out and journey with her husband. She had to stay and keep the... You know the the, the the shop running and uh, yeah, and and she, she like it's only through these experiences, this adventure that she's been on, that she realizes exactly how small she's become, uh, and the fact that George couldn't understand that, or the George the George looks through a lens of well, she loves me, and she's happy with me, and that's all that really matters. And th- yeah, it's a huge component of what matters in a relationship. Yeah. But what also matters in a relationship is the ability to support someone fully to their aspirations uh, and not take it into the account of how it impacts your aspirations or your life. You have to support unconditionally. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful scene. She, once again, incredible fucking acting. Like, just uh, out the park. This fucking show just drops some, like, yeah, right, here's your scene. Like, just do the best scene ever. Oh, you have? Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> like, onwards. <laughs> Yeah, it's and, and awesome. again, worth pointing out, the actress's name is Anjanue Ellis, who and is she playing... she's brilliant. Just tremendous in this episode. It mm-hmm. is, you know, it's one of those things where people, like, will say, well, oh, that performance was brave. and yeah. But this one genuinely is, like, she is legitimately, she is physically naked and in, in uh, scenes in this episode. Oh, yeah, you see um, everything. Yeah, but at the same time, she is also like goes through this emotional journey, and and she from... plays a sexy dancer. Yeah, she plays a fucking Amazonian warrior. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like, and and every role that she does here, I believe, it. I believe she's a, a go-go dancer. I believe she's a warrior. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, I believe she's vulnerable. I, like, it's fucking great. And then at the end of this, she she says, "I am Hippolyta Discoverer." Mm-hmm. And then she takes his hand, and then she's in this that pop culture. She's in the, the rocket ship from Arinthia Blue, mm-hmm. and it, it's her and George on a new planet, exploring, cataloging animals and plants. Uh, I mean, it's like the heaven for explorers, you know? Yeah, and it reminded me the aliens that that walk by them, the wee green things, are like miniature versions of the alien that's in. Uh, Joe Dante's The Explorers. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. It's fucking, like, and anything that references anything to do with that makes my, my heart sing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, they are, they're just, they're living the life, and it's all that kind of, uh, how do you describe that colour? Like, powder blues and powder pinks. And, that kind of pastel yeah. palette. Yeah, and... yeah, everything's coloured in those colours. It's vibrant and rich and, like, 
I would I, have any of the shots in this one like still framed and like put on my wall. They're, they're that fucking vibrant and beautiful and uh, artistic. It's fucking great. Yeah, I mean, you just want to live in this world. Like, you're only there for a moment, and you could mm. just live there for an episode or more, you know? It's so beautiful. And then uh, then Hippolyta is suddenly talking to this space alien again from where she initially started this journey. And, and she says, now that I've been so much, I can't imagine ever being so small again. Mm-hmm. And the alien says, like, you're ready. Like, you're ready to transcend to this next phase of evolution. Like, you've you've proven yourself that you are you can be anything. Like, you understand now that all you have to do is think it, and you mm-hmm. can be that. So what, what do you want to be? Name yourself. And then, at, at, like... You know, she talks about the expansiveness of 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 her life and and need for freedom, and then she thinks of Diana, and 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 we leave her there. Yeah, and we cut back back to Earth, where Atticus appears from out of this reality rift, and has a book in his hand. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. <laughs> And he tries to get the machine working again to get Hippolyta back, but police are coming, there are sirens wailing, and he has to run. So as he flees the scene, the last thing we see is that the comic that Diana gave to Hippolyta is tucked under the dead body of the cop. Which is probably going to come up at some point. A hundred percent, and let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not dither or dally. Mm-hmm. All right, so episode eight is called Jigabobo. Yep. <laughs> um, and it begins with the strains of Bananarama's Cruel Summer. Yeah. This this episode is called Chigabobo and has scenes in it that are terrifying. <laughs> right. Th- yeah. There should be a warning label on this one of like, hey, this will scare the fuck out of you. <laughs> That's probably what I would mention. Misha Green comes back to direct on this episode and boy, does she ever. <laughs> Holy right. fucking shit. <laughs> Right, like, hey, uh, did you think that y- you'd seen everything that could give you a nightmare? Mm-hmm. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, but Crow Summer, you play that song, you have a happy fucking Duncan every day of the week. It's pretty good. It's pretty mm. good. You and I have a, a special affinity for both uh, Banana Rama and, and uh, Shakespeare's sister, I believe. We do, yeah, yeah. I, I like it's. I, I don't know quite what it is. Uh, like I watched that. Um, oh, that, that Johnny Knoxville horror movie. That one recently. What was it called? Yeah, uh, We Summon the Darkness. Yes, We Summon the Darkness, and it it fucking <laughs> it. I like I was on. Oh, it's an alright movie, but it closes with the pow, and oh, I was like, nice. oh, that'll do my heart good. Yeah, <laughs> and I found myself. That's named after a Star Trek character. Yeah, I like, spent like the next like, like as soon as it finished, I was like, like fucking China in your hands about my house, like just like, like at night when the family's asleep, there's me slow dancing and mouthing the words that pow song. I have my quirks, Bo. And it turns out that maybe you have similar ones as well. Once again, another reason for our enduring friendship slash hatred. Let me, let me, t- <laughs> yeah, our rivalry. Let me tell you a, a quick story. So we have our, our movie nights mm-hmm. uh, on Thursdays. And so a couple of friends and their daughter came over uh, Thursday night. And when we have a little dinner and then we watch a movie, we were having some lasagna, uh, mm. which was quite good. 
um, turned cold recently <laughs> and it hit the spot. Uh, it's even better when it's cold. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, cold weather and lasagna, man. That's where it's at for me. You give me mm-hmm. uh, anyway. Uh, you are the Garfield of podcasters, but that's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, it's one of those things I've struggled with that title, but I think it's true. <laughs> but so anyway, as we're eating dinner, I've got so, like a Spotify playlist playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And on the on the playlist rolls up Whitey's on the Moon by Gil Scott Heron. <laughs> of course it does. And it was one of those moments of like, huh, do I let it go? <laughs> and finally, uh, one one of my friends that was there, Kim, she says, what is this? <laughs> and so, th- you know, then I get into the story of uh, Whitey's on the Moon, which then leads to Lovecraft Country. But mm-hmm. it was one of those moments of like, yeah, I guess my musical taste is pretty weird. Oh yeah, mine, like mine's is like definitively weird, and uh, like I, I did um, I'd, like I recently this year started back up uh, a kind of a music podcast, mostly based around kind of like metal and alternative music because that's that that's primarily what I listen to. Yeah, yeah. But what's what's really interesting about doing that show is how often I will reference like. Like music from the eighties specifically, and it's because of the household. I got my what, single parent. My mom listened to fucking everything. So like, I grew up listening from everything to like Motown, to Bowie, to Elvis, to like, specifically New Romantics, like all the New Romantics eighties yeah. bands. Um, so I like that's just my so I'd, like I've got a, a, a silly knowledge for that sort of stuff. Um. And yeah, you like if you're stuck in a car with me for an extended journey, you could easily go from the blast beats of a Cannibal Corpse song straight into the Reflex by Duran Duran. Flex, flex. It's like it's like the You try to hide this time, man. Okay, nowhere. All right, so quick, a quick aside. Uh, best Duran Duran song, mm. A View to a Kill. Oh, it's a good one. The Reflex, mm. Union of the Snake. Uh, I, I feel like we need a fourth. Hey, G- give me one. I feel I don't want to monopolize uh, this. Give me, give me one of the big ones. Hey, like Girls on Film. I mean, hey. is that one of the best though, Duncan? Really? I really like Girls on Film. All right, we'll put it on Her the list. Her name is Rio. And girls she on. See, on I think Girls on Film and Rio are of a, a strike. Like I lean into the like the weirder Duran Duran gets, like Wild Boys and shit like oh, that. Wild Boys is fucking great. Yeah. Wild Boys. <laughs> like Jesus, Simon, calm down. Never close this. Oh, Jesus! You understand? He he was like coked out his face and knee deep and pussy. Of course, he was doing his riffs on like the Road Warrior and like what in the fuck is Seven and the Ragged Tiger even about? But I love it. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's a. I mean, A View to a Kill, to me, works so well because of the Bond movie that sure. has Christopher Walken. So I will always... James <laughs> Bond! You know, you know, like, more. 
More power. But all right, here's the best scene. And I, this is a joke I'm stealing for myself. The best scene of View to a Kill mm-hmm. is when um when when James Bond is posing as Mr. Sinjin Smythe, the horse <laughs> purchaser. And he's he's in the office with <laughs> just just take a second to go through that again. It's posing as Sinjin Smythe, though. Yeah, the it's horse purchase. Yeah, he's buying a horse. And <laughs> and James Bond is, you know, pretending and like, oh, oh, please tell me all about your horses. And <laughs> and while he's talking, Christopher Walken is on uh like an Apple IIe uh computer. <laughs> like pulling up like he's he snapped a sneaky picture of him and is getting the oh, yeah. raid out. And because it's like a computer from 1980, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it takes forever for the picture to load. And then yeah. once it finally does, it gives him like the name. Oh, his name is James Bond. And like Christopher Walken reacts to this information. He goes, oof. Yeah, it's and, still like Walken is fucking amazing. <laughs> and, the and then like the next line will pop up and it'll be like license to kill. And he goes, Wow. And then it's like, kill on sight. He's, wowie wow. <laughs> Seeing him get progressively more excited, the more dangerous that yeah, James because, Bond seems to be. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite villains. He's ever. so good. And to be honest, he's like, in terms of Bond villains, his overall goal and plan isn't that nefarious compared to some of the other ones. It's fairly small potatoes yeah, yeah. compared to like the rest of them. But for whatever reason, the fact he's like, you know, it's revealed that he's like this failed like experimentation in <laughs> right. eugenics and you know, like and it totally he plays into that and then you 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 put him beside fucking Grace Jones and I'm like, this is like and then you you Duran Duran the fucking sim track and then you have a scene with people leaping off the Eiffel Tower. I'm telling you, like dying death by butterfly. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it's California it, it's, girls as James oh, Bond ski. Yes. It, like that. That is a, an affront to God and man, and I can't I, look away. Yeah, it's, it's like that's the, like for for all the negatives, like the like the, the James Bond movies have, and there are a lot in there specifically about how. You know the subject matter does not age well, mm-hmm. um, or the actions of the characters. Like when you talk about a Bond movie, you're on a fucking ride because you're going to talk about a lot of shit and you're going to go all over the place and like have conversations that you probably shouldn't really think. Like Bond has done everything, and as a result, you'll get to do everything. And there's nothing better than seeing Roger Moore like against a green screen pretend to fucking snowball. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. It's the- can you believe I invented snowboarding? Hmm. <laughs> um, but by the way, we're, we're we're rocking out with songs. I think the one we missed, and I had to do a bit of checking to make sure that I got the name right. But uh, we're talking about classic all time, even though it's a ballad and it's much more somber. It is fucking huge. Uh, Ordinary world. Oh sure, yeah. Huge. I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that. I, I'm 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 gonna see uh, or not- n- n- notorious. Notorious um, is great as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like you get no like Jan Jan's like 
Fucking amazing. Um, I had to pick a favourite, you bastard. Uh, I do love the reflex because the reflex has one of my favourite bass lines. It's good, yeah. You know, it's fucking it's funky as fuck. And this is, is a, pop, a, a pop band who like mixed a lot of funk in there. I'm maybe going to go... Ah, fuck it, I'm going to a kill. Because I do, I do love that. I, I mean, that is that band doing the Bond thing, but doing it as Duran Duran, where other artists do their version of a Bond song. Like, Duran Duran just do a Duran Duran song, but rock it up a bit more, and then all of a sudden it is a Bond song. And that's the difference. So, there we go. Uh, uh, quite, Until quite... we dance into the fire! Fucking bitching! Yeah. I, I'm going to listen to this as you finish recording. <laughs> Where's a view to the kill? <laughs> oh, man. Night time covers me. <laughs> anyway. Um, this is not the Duran Duran podcast. This is the Love Country. Hey, Lovecraft? Country? I Dun- can't even speak. Duran What is country. in this drink? Um, all right. So here, we're going to get to Brumley the second country. sentence of my notes about this uh, episode. Um, mm. So Diana is in this crowd of people uh, shuffling through the streets of Chicago on the south side on a very hot day. The as, hottest day ever. Even I was hot looking at this. Yeah, it's cruel summer is playing. And uh, Diana is not doing okay. No. Uh, she is. She's having an, a real emotional day here. Uh, as we see, like, as people are gathering and, and and shuffling and walking, we see some dudes speaking out, and we realize that a young black kid has been killed. Yeah, because up until that point, I thought, well, the the buried Hippolyta quick. Right, like, what you have, no, that's the presumption, is maybe yeah. this is Hippolyta's funeral, but mm-hmm. um, it turns out it, it's a friend of Diana's, of Dee's, mm-hmm. A kid named Emmett Till, who they affectionately called Bobo. Mm-hmm. And not me, no relation. <laughs> and so Ruby, who is still ca- taking care of Diana, um, is like, hey, we we need to keep moving, kind of keeping Diana under her wing. And Diana goes, what is that smell? Mm-hmm. And Ruby says, well, you know, this has to be one of the hottest days of the year. And and kind of lets it trail off. And then D says, oh, it's him. Mm-hmm. Meaning the kid whose yeah. coffin is on display and is now rotting under the summer sun. At which point my notes are, Lovecraft Country, don't ever change. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yes. this, is, this is the most horrible shit I've ever seen. And also, only only be, only bested by the description of what happened to the kid later on. Right, we'll get to that. And oh man, this episode's so fucking good. I I really did a turnaround on this one hard. Uh, so yeah. Letty and Atticus are in this crowd too, and Atticus is hustling Letty a little bit. Like, hey, you want to sit down and rest? You want some water? Do you need to sit down? Have you thought about resting? And she's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? And Montro shows up. He doesn't know yet. Well, he That's knows. Really- yeah, he knows, but we don't think she doesn't think that he knows. She doesn't know, and we that don't he knows. know either. We don't know that he knows that she doesn't know that he knows that. Well, we know, know now that he knows, <laughs> but we didn't know when we were watching the show for the first time. We didn't know then what we know yeah. now that he knows. I know. All right, so <laughs> Montrose shows up and is like, "Hey, who wants some water?" <laughs> and Atticus is just like. I don't hear nothing. You want some water, Letty? <laughs> Which, by saying that, means you did hear it, or you wouldn't be able to offer it. 
hey, I know you can hear me, mister. I'm not a ghost. <laughs> and <laughs> no, why he has to assert that. But then we cut back to Diana again, still not doing okay at all. Mm-hmm. And while Ruby is like, man, maybe we shouldn't have brought her. And Montrose is like, this is a, and I'm quoting the show, but it's a horrible thing to say and hear. He says, mm-hmm. uh, it is every Negro's rite of passage. And Diana sees a picture of her friend Bobo, you know, Emmett Till. Yeah. And while she is staring at this and just feeling the weight of her friend has died, her, her father has just died. Her mother is missing and presumed dead. Yeah. Like her world has just been devastated. Yeah. And what the Letty is like, Hey, when do you think uh Hippolyta might come back? And why do you think Hippolyta might come back? <laughs> and it's very clear. He said nothing about this book that he brought back. So he can't tell her like I came back. So Hippolyta could too. Yeah. Because he was quite, he, he, he was clutching that book at the end of the last episode he came through the tunnel with a book the book was called lovecraft country yes and it was written by george freeman who if you're me you're like that uncle george wrote a book called well i've been working country? on for a bit i, I want to work, do a novel for a long time god damn it and finally told myself i'm gonna take some time and write the great american book but then i was like well bo said that they were gonna use time travel to bring back george so maybe they bring back george and he writes a book called lovecraft country so that makes total sense so that's why he's confident that she's she's going to come back right. or being a lifway's answer because she must come back and she must bring uncle george back with her because that's why that book exists and lovecraft country is like <laughs> oh foolish little duncan <laughs> you keep thinking two-dimensionally we're thinking omnidirectionally <laughs> And I was like, oh, right, uh, as we found out later on. But, uh, yeah, he's been... Is it, not only has he been a bit suspect about it, he keeps looking at his watch a lot, Bo. Yeah, yeah, he's this got somewhere funeral. to be. And he doesn't want to be here. Also, suddenly everybody's like, hey, where's D? And they're like, oh, God damn it, she has slipped away. And Montrose... Montrose has a great, yeah, it's a great line here about, of all days, this is not the day that she, she should be out there herself. Yeah, we've got to find her, mister. And... <laughs> So everyone kind of goes their separate ways to find D. Like Letty's going to her place. Montrose is going back to uh, D's house. Um, and Atticus is like, uh, I'll check the five and dime, I guess. Yeah. And they're like, uh, all right, weirdo. And mm-hmm. so we we cut to D, who is wandering outside this uh, arcade and ice cream shop. And they're like colored lights flashing on her from within while she's on the street. And as she passes by, a couple of girls come out giggling and eating ice cream. And D uh, hearing their laughter throws. Snaps. Yeah. She throws rocks at them and starts sc- screaming at them. There's nothing to laugh about. And then she starts cry laughing Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh shit, she's a good actress too. Yeah, oh yeah, she's fucking amazing. And <laughs> there's literally not a man like every every actor for every performance, large or small, in Lovecraft Country is a fucking great actor. They yeah. get the best out of all of them. Yeah, Jada Harris is her name. She's like you said, she's incredible in this. Mm-hmm. And and so anyway, she kind of wanders into this alley 
where a couple of cops pull up and it's Lancaster, the 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 cop that we know knows some magic and, and is sort of the heir apparent to the uh, Braithwaite uh, clan, to that mm-hmm. cult, that coven. And um, it's him and one of his flunkies. And Lancaster has her comic, the bloody comic that they found on the dead cop. And they're like, hey, what's your mother's name? And she, you know, de-terrified is like, her name's Hippolyta. And then the flunky cop says something very rude yes, about, about African names. And yeah, African tribal names, right. uh, to be specific. Where I know, you know, that we all know, that that's not the, you know... The derivation. Derivation is that the right word? Uh, I think not. etymology. Etymology um, of 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 Hippolyta, where yeah. that actually comes from, um, and any self-respected fucking quasi-intelligent person, right? It, <laughs> yeah, you you know where it comes from, but this guy's a fucking muppet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so. and indeed, to her credit, as when he says that, she's both offended by it, but also like you dumb shit yeah and like, she's locking that into i'm gonna use this later on in a lane which is fucking incredible right i'm gonna have my own letty moment later in the episode don't even worry about it everybody <laughs> it's like stopping everything looking at the audience and addressing them yeah, yeah i bet you're wondering how i ended up here let me tell you <laughs> like uh, yeah you're gonna see a lot of awful shit but there's gonna come a time when i'm gonna lay it down and every, mm. everything's gonna be great so um, yeah, because they do, like, brutalize her. Like, she tries to run away, they trip her up, they pull her back. Yeah, um, and, and draw runes on either side of her. Yep, and, and then main cop dude uh, spits a, a nice throaty, bailey spit into his hand and then places, like, the, the spit on her forehead, uh, smears it more than places it, and then starts a, an incantation of some sort. And then we get, like... <laughs> Like all the flies from the Amityville appear, and then we hear "Get out!" Um, like it's like, like yeah, that weird. Yeah, it really is. It's like it's, it's the Amityville scene. All the weird fucking like horrible insects start to appear, and the next thing we know, she comes to with spit in her forehead, and not entirely sure what has happened. But Bo, I'm sitting in the background, going, "Something weird is about to happen." And as she's walking away, a billboard for, you know, um, the ice cream manufacturer, whoever's the face it's, of the no, ice cream. cream of weed. It's uh, oatmeal. Oatmeal, right. So yeah. that, thank you for explaining that. Um, like, the, the eyes in this picture follow her along, and I'm like that. Oh, well, they're spying on her. Because once again, Duncan is thinking two-dimensionally and not omnidirectionally like Lovecraft Country. So I was like, all right, they're just following her to see what she knows so they can like through any picture or that they'll be able to see her and i couldn't have been more wrong both if i tried <laughs> yeah that's probably accurate yeah um, i was on the, completely the wrong track going to the wrong destination like all the way there just going yeah we're all going to go to the what wrong train <laughs> like how well, did i get off this <laughs> one of the things that this episode is clearly doing is it's it's examining the popular representation of black people. Yes. And in this case, it's the cream of wheat, which is a hundred percent true thing. Duncan, that is the no. actual mascot for that brand at that time. Uh, you might, well, uh, and also the, the playful name. 
Yes, and of the title of the episode is <clears throat> right. It it is yeah, a uncomfortable a, right. It is very clearly a reference to that kind of uh, black slur and and also very much that type of caricature that yeah. that sort of uh, Uncle Tom. I mean, that's what much of this episode is, is about. But that kind of uh, I I think the term is pickaninny. It, it was, oh, right. was yeah. one of the descriptions I have I have heard of that. Um, we used to have there was a brand of jam that's like our our world over here maybe doesn't have as many examples of this as America does, um, but uh, you know like after the the recent kind of changes in cultural attitudes specifically aimed at different brands of certain things, we would have things like I I imagine you had like Uncle Ben's as a brand. Oh, of course, and Aunt Jemima and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't have Aunt Jemima because that didn't mean anything over here. Um, but we did have there was a brand of jam, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, over here called Robinsons, um, which is like the most English of English names. <laughs> like, it really, sure. really is. Uh, but the brand logo was, and there is no other way to really use this word. So once again, I apologize in advance if it causes any offense. I feel proud of saying it. But uh, I had a picture of what's known as a gollywog. Uh, and I don't know if that translates well to America. Probably not. not. Entirely. Yep. Um, so it was essentially like a minstrel. So black. Oh, the, black that's face. the pick and anything. Yes. It ah, is, right. So it o- is... over here in the UK, that would be classed as a either a minstrel or a, a gollywog and it's it, like horrible terms but that was the branding for that jam for no fucking reason at all yeah well it makes no reference to anything from africa or anything that would denote anything to do with race it's fucking jam well it you know was i mean this... it wasn't exotic jam either it was like <laughs> english fucking rhubarb jam by robinson's and that was the logo for fucking years but that kind of shit was just in the in the popular culture. It wasn't mm. like uh, you could get little ceramic yard ornaments that were kind mm. of those caricatures mm-hmm. and that kind of shit. Like that was just the popular conception of of a of black people in many ways. You know, like yeah. like it was cartoonish, and most people recognized it was cartoonish, but it was also instantly recognizable as oh well you're talking about black people yeah you know instantly recognizable and at the same time absolutely fucking repugnant and the uh, fact that no one even at the time was like that (laughs) should we be doing this yeah yeah it and 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 so right and and so this idea of of sort of what people expect black people to be and look like and act like is very much what this episode is about. And part of mm-hmm. that is this artistic representation. And and so anyway, we put a pin in that for a second. Because <laughs> we like yeah. we are coming back to this and it's gonna pay off so so good. Um so Letty then arrives back at her place looking for D, but who does she find, Duncan? Uh but our old friend Gia from uh, an episode a couple back. Yep, who has arrived because, like, well, and once again, she's. I feel so sorry for her in this episode because she's arrived specifically because Atticus phoned her to say, How did you know? And she's like, You know what? I'm just going to put a pin in my life just now. I'm not going to quite hit my 100. You know what I mean? I'm going to stop at 99. 
got 99 problems and an Atticus is one. Uh, and I'm going to jump on a fucking plane and I'll fly across here all the way to America, a country I've never been in before. Um, kind of post a massive fucking crisis. I imagine the Korean incident is still going on-ish around mm. this time. I'm just going to fly over there into a place that doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm going to arrive and I'm going to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to answer face to face like a fucking adult. And um, what she doesn't know <laughs> is that Atticus maybe has moved on and maybe is interested in Letty. And yeah, she might not get the warmest of welcomes is what I'm trying to put across. I, but I genuinely felt sorry for her character. Yeah, I, I really do too. But like <laughs> when she, when Letty comes in and sees her, she says, you looking for a room? Mm-hmm. And she says, no, I'm looking for Atticus. There's also a description of later on of how our power is triggered. Yeah. <laughs> Which made me giggle like a like a fucking fool. I'm such a child at times. I'm like, she's the climax. <laughs> <laughs> so Bo's back on this episode. So Bo the hitchhiker killer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm but not really. <laughs> um but so we cut from you know, Gia invoking Atticus's name to Atticus, who is showing up at the Braithwaite tomb where he's meeting Extina. Yep. And he's like, hey, how do I cast a spell? <laughs> like, right straight off the bat. Yeah. Hey, Extina. Extina. How do I cast a spell? And <laughs> she's like, hey, you never want to know any of this shit before. Something's up. Yeah. <laughs> and... He's like, look, I just want to protect myself and Letty. And uh, and she says, yeah, you want to protect yourself, huh? I know about Hiram's pages. And I hear he lost an arm looking for those. Wink, and, wink. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then he's like, look, I just give you the Ori. The Ori. Ori. But he says, I think what you really want is this. And he hands her the key. And her eyes light up. Yeah, she's uh, like, like oh, that's what I want. Play. She's like, play it cool. Play it cool. Like, don't raise your... No, my eyes are going up. And and uh, she says, look, spells aren't just words, stupid. You need <laughs> intention, energy, and a body. And, <laughs> and I like how she describes this. That's how you upset the balance of nature without a disaster. And uh, And then she calls it, Perfect alignment. Like perfect well, that, nipple placement. Yeah, it's perfect, perfect alignment. And I love how she is about a disaster because that's how the show started. Yeah. Was people invoking that but not doing all those things together. And it, it involved like basically the destruction of all of them and a large mansion building collapsing in itself. Yeah. And so uh she basically draws a protection symbol on a wall and she She's like, be sure you draw this in chalk or blood or something. And, not in dust. <laughs> yeah, not in dust, stupid. And then you stand in that and you do the spell. And he uh, hands over the key. And then as she leaves, she says, good luck, cousin. It's nice. Mm-hmm. It's a, a nice little throwaway. And mm-hmm. But before she gets totally out the door, he goes, the autumnal equinox. What's going to happen? Yep. <laughs> and Exena just stops in the doorway and she goes, you want to know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to be immortal. Yeah, well, this is the thing I love about her as a character is there's no bullshit with Exena. You ask her a question, you get that, you get the answer. You might not like the answer. 
you might not understand the answer, but it's honest. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't bullshit anything, like, because later on we find out exactly what that is. Um, and <laughs> by Jove, <laughs> spot on to what she said. You know, here's the thing. We're going to get into this more here in a minute, but Extina is a fascinating character because she's mm. she's kind of the villain, but she's also not horrible. She's, she's the she's the she she's willing to grow yes she's i think the thing is she she has a mission right she has an end goal that end goal is immortality and she will do anything to become a mortal that fits within that but that does not mean that she will not involve herself in ways that she feels she can turn the situation for other characters in this show and that's what I quite like about her. It's like she, and the motivation's there, and it's really well written that, you know, as a woman, so she's not allowed to join the order, she's not allowed to invoke magic or anything like that. And she's been held back from that. So as a result, she's got that chip on her shoulder that when she sees that with other people, she kind of gives them the nudge, the nudge that she never got in that direction. She kind of gives a help man. She doesn't fully help them because she doesn't have to fully help them, but she inserts herself in a way where she's like, ah, you know, this is a shortcut. Uh, just you know, just to see what will happen, and kind of just to do the right thing, and I think that's what makes her a wholly interesting character. As we'll get to with the Ruby conversation coming up, um, her answer is cold as fuck, but it's accurate. Like what she says in there is like because if it wasn't Ruby, would fight more, um, and that's what makes her a really interesting character. It must be a ton of fun to play that character because you're like. Like what I would class as a cunt here away, excuse the language, um, from being a mustachio, you know, twiddling villain, and someone who, in any given scene, you actually kind of feel yourself totally with and behind. Um, like she's she, yeah, she got she put Ruby through the mix to plant that fucking carved stone in the you know police officer's room. But look at what the police officer's done to a kid. This guy's fucking horrible. So, you, you know what I mean? Like, she's, she's going to get her vengeance on that guy, and that guy's pretty bad. So, in, the, in that war, I'm siding with Extina, but at the same time, she, she's still she's still going to cause all manner of fucking mayhem yeah. if she wins and succeeds. And that's the beautiful quandary of the show, is that they, they're like, here she is. You know what she's aiming for. It has been evident from the beginning, but we're going to show you all the way through this that it's not as simple as, wait for it, black and white with any character in this one there are shades of grey and Xtina's shades of grey are very grey um, and yeah. she's like every every scene I think once again fucking phenomenal actress every scene I'm just like what what, what is your end game I think I know what it is but what is your end game and we'll find out why Atticus knew about this specific right later on uh, I keep forgetting you can't see the, the quotation marks um, but the specific right that he mentions that she kind of tongue-in-cheek replies back to him. And with context later on, there's a reason that she is kind of like, you know, I'm going to do what all of them can do, and that is make myself immortal. Mm. Uh, because the very person she's saying it to might be the catalyst for that. So, sure. And she doesn't think that he knows. But Bo, we know that he knows that she doesn't know that he knows. Right. Like, in most cases, Extina knows more than anyone else knows yeah but, but this in the case is, of this one she does like she doesn't like because atticus knows that he knows what the end game is yes he knows how it's going to play out 
and yes, and he knows her plans for him mm-hmm. in in a way that she doesn't realize he knows. And yeah, and that by by her giving that information over to him, what she doesn't really realize is he's actually protecting himself from her. Yeah, yeah. That yes, clever move. Clever, it's a shrewd move. Clever girl. Uh, the result of it is <laughs> is a clever girl moment, isn't it? Clever girl. Uh, is it like <laughs> it's like Nidra? Please, God damn it! I hate all this heck of shit. Ah ah ah! You gotta say the magic word, which <laughs> is like the square. It's like the square that he has to draw. And by the way, that scene we're going to get to the, the in, uh, invocation of this fucking ceremony is amazing. Uh, oh, it's the best! It's yeah. so fucking so fucking good. But yeah, like so. We're we're setting up these we're setting up these ideas, this power play that one character knows but the audience doesn't quite know yet, and the other character thinks that they know everything, but they don't actually know everything yet. Yeah. So all right. Good. So all right, oh. we're gonna we're gonna leave them to Ooh. go to the horror movie of this episode where <laughs> where Montrose uh finally found D at home. He's like, Hey, you're back. What were you doing out there alone, mister? And she's like, you're lying to me about my mother. And I know she's dead. And Dee runs and locks herself in the bathroom while Montrose After is- dropping an F-bomb to Montrose, who suddenly remembers that he is the parent in this situation. Well, and he goes full Montrose, where he's pounding yeah. on the door. He's like, listen, oh, he you open this door, mister. He only knows the one style of parent. Well, but he does kind of chill for a second. He's like, look, uh, it's about time you learned how the world works. I know it's rough, but sometimes white people kill your friends. Yeah, let let me tell you this little story about the way the world works that will chill you to the bone. Like, oh, like this this is a rite of passage. One of your friends will die at the hands of a white man. You just have to live with it because that's what it means to be black. Right. Um, Meanwhile, she's scrubbing at her forehead. Um... And this is a fucking amazing scene. Um, so this is this Uncle Tom book that you're talking about, or Uncle Tom Freeze. Uncle Tom's on a, Cabin, yes. Yeah, so there's a book in the background, and it has a drawing of what you would presume is like a, a girl of uh, colour and a, a white girl. And as she's putting on a baseball cap and sneakers, um, she catches a, a like a glimpse of something in the book, the book falls over, and when she turns, well, she catches a glimpse of the book, and the 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 faces have morphed into. I would like it is us is what I could think of, like when I saw it. But it was also a combination of like, did you ever, did you ever listen to the Apex Twin? No, no, right. So there's a there's this there's this guy a DJ called the Apex Twin, right? And he does, it's kind of electronic, it's very bizarre kind of electronic garage music. And he's widely credited as creating maybe the most disturbing music video of all time, which is called Come to Daddy, which is like a phrase from Hellraiser, which he kind of uses in the song. Um, And what makes it really, if you want to see a horror movie music video, it's that. It's Come to Daddy by the FX one. Everyone should check it out. It came out in the 90s. And um. The the music video and most of his music videos, he superimposes his face like overcatch. So everyone is wearing a mask of his face, and it's fucking horrific to see because it's a lot of little. It's like a, like a basically a guy walking through like the like, kind of alleyways of this housing estate, 
and he's being chased by little girls and like pigtails and like kind of almost the shining like you're kind of, hello Danny that that kind of outfit loads of them but all these little girls have his face his, his demonic face with the goatee beard and the and it's fucking terrifying and in the back it's like I want your soul like come to Daddy like this fucking like hellscape this is delivered and that is what I thought of when I saw the reveal of what this book is showing is this is like nightmare fucking feel. This is the sort of stuff that you, as a kid, you dream of that like causes night terrors and sleepless nights for a month. It's the sort of shit that keeps your parents up because you won't let them sleep. Um, and she runs out, Montrose comes in, checks the book. Guess what, Bo? Nothing wrong with the book. No, so it's it all fine. in her head. Is it all in her head, Bo? Maybe. We'll find out. Yeah. It's terrifying though. It's what I'm saying. It's fucking terrifying is what I'm saying. It's like a combination between fucking Pennywise the Clown and the Apex Twin video Come to Daddy, which I hope everyone checks out before the next recording and thank me now for the nightmares that will be in just from watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those visuals seem really upsetting. And uh, so we, we move over to Ruby, who is returning home uh, after, or, you know, back to William slash Extina's place. Um, after, you know, looking for D and all the, the chaos with the funeral and she drops her keys on the way in and there's this white dude in a pickup, uh, across the street. And William, of course, lives in a very nice house in a very white neighborhood and the south, not the south side, the north side. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the dude across the street is like, excuse me, you the maid. Yeah. And Ruby no. says, no, I ain't the damn maid. And the dude is like, what did you say to me? And starts coming across the street towards her. And Ruby's just like, oh, fuck, this is about to get ugly. And before things can get too far, William, in quotes, arrives home. (laughs) And William, uh, you know, tells the guy like, hey, no, everything's fine here. Thanks, Thanks for looking out for my place, but this is all cool. And when he goes to Ruby, she's just crying. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ruby says, he looked like a monster. And then maybe the coolest cover of I Put a Spell on You I've ever heard Which plays. Already heard, like, because we've had the Manson cover yeah. earlier on in this one, but the cover in on this one's fucking amazing. It's like a really, really, really good version. As we're going to get, like, because we get this jarring image of Ruby with. Uh, blue eyes um, as she's already drank the potion as the pigmentation in her skin starts to change to white mm-hmm. um, and you know William's in the background and instead of how they have fucked before because uh, they should be fucking um, where you know it's been Ruby as Ruby uh, she's now as white racist lady yeah, Hillary, and uh, Hillary Davenport Hillary Davenport and Hillary Davenport likes to be on top so he gets you a bit of jiggly Davenport nakedness and they are going to town and Bo I'm thinking to myself well it's another sex scene I'm enjoying it but I've seen a few in this Lovecraft country by now and whilst I do advocate that you should be fucking I feel that if we're going to do this on the screen you have to bring something new to the table and it's almost as if the show heard me I was like, that. what's that, Duncan? Something you've never seen before? Enjoy this. Pray tell and tell the listeners out there what unfolds on the screen. Yeah, so William kind of rips her skin a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, gives her a good old, you know, fucking scratch along the back. <laughs> fucking scratch. Yeah. And then she just starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And it, I think this is what you were referencing earlier, but like, I've as- never seen anything like this in my entire life. And it is like, like horror movies can't do a scene as well as this. And yeah. it makes me wonder why I've never seen a scene like this. It is as close to Hellraiser as you will ever see. I know I'm referencing that again, but it is as close to the kind of ooey-gooey, but oh, this is quite sexy. Like, if Clyde Barker had directed this scene, it would not have surprised me one second. I will tear your orgasm apart. I <laughs> 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 you go with orgasm instead of the obvious one, which is I'll tear your hole apart. Uh, uh, I mean, it's too obvious. I like yeah. I like your style. You're like, I'm going to class this up a little bit. Yeah, uh, uh, you know me. Yeah. I'm a suit and tie kind of guy. But yeah, I, it, she goes through the transformation essentially during this as chunks of her flesh fall off the, to reveal you know ruby underneath which and it's just so bloody and gooey and gross but so fucking sexy it's unbelievable the top of her head kind of mm-hmm. slides back a little bit at one point <laughs> like she's been scalped yeah but it's just revealing ruby beneath it's like the effects on this show they shouldn't work as well as they do for being a television show but it looks so good this is this hbo money man honestly oh man they are they are putting their money in the right places this thing looks fucking good and i also like the fact that uh the lady who plays hillary um a little bit of an older lady getting fucking Mm -hmm. down on screen i like the fact that lovecraft country is like you over 40 don't sweat it get get down here and fuck that's what yeah. Lovecraft Country wants. Do you know? Do you know? Like, because we mentioned Misha Green directed. This is our only directing credit. That's crazy, man. It's fucking nuts, man. This is the only thing she's ever directed. I mean, I'm gonna and hate it, is... it when she leaves this show, but she is on to <laughs> bigger and better things. Like she, like the the well, self assured. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead. The self the self assuredness of the direction in this episode is fucking jaw dropping. For a first-time director, what you I mean? She's written a lot, but first-time director. This is her just doing her. I could take a stab at. Oh yeah, I'll just take episode eight because <laughs> not a lot happens in that that could go fucking wrong while filming it. Um, oh, it's so good, man. This show rules so hard. It's jaw-droppingly good. I mean, it's like, and it doesn't at this stage. Like, I feel like the dickhead pointing out how fucking good it is. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, it's it's good like that. I, I feel like because I, I, I don't know if the people making this know how fucking just completely genre defining this is. I don't know if they do or if they're just making another HBO TV show because it really is. It operates on such a different level. This is the, the sort of this is what the fucking this is what Pinhead describes as pain and pleasure indivisible. Uh, when you see this on the screen, that that is from the fucking mind of Clyde Barker on the screen I have never seen even in a even in a movie I've never seen a scene like this execute like this where the effects which shouldn't work work and the actors are fucking incredible in it yeah and it just and you've got the score over the background and it's fucking everything right like the climax of this I put a spell on you cover and everything you're just like god damn this is good <laughs> it's just a different it's just it operates in a completely different plane 
Yeah, I, I, there's nothing that does what this show does. Yeah, it kind of makes it like every time I watch one of these episodes, I just want to punch somebody right in the face. Like, God, <laughs> this is so good, I hate it. Um, like it, it, it ruins other shows for me. Every other show should be this good because it can be done. Um, but anyway, so we there's a, a quick cutaway where Atticus shows up at the boarding house and sees Gia shoes outside, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, right." There's the a real uh, fuck. Yeah. It's like, this is all I need. Please tell me Letty's not home. Please tell me Letty's not on the Letty's home. And they're sitting at the table together. Yeah. Neither one of them's talking, which means they have talked. And yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like nobody <laughs> says a word and then we cut away. Mm-hmm. And which I like. Just like, you know what? Things are tense at the Letty household. <laughs> We're going to cut back to D. Surely things will be lighter over here. Oh yeah, like, oh, dude. When this scene happened, I like there was no like I'm watching the show myself. I've told my wife as soon as I finish episode ten, the two of us are going back through it from scratch because I know that she's going to fucking love it. Um, but I'm too far into it to go back. And um, when I saw this scene, I hit pause on the TV and I was I, I was bouncing on the couch. I was that fucking excited for something as traumatic as this. It's just. It's everything I love about horror, like in a scene yeah. right now. That, that <laughs> yeah. idea of someone seeing something that they can't, you know, no one else can see, but what they are seeing is like, like the worst thing that that person could see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, from, from her perspective. Also, like, it leans back into, was I way back in the day, um, I want to say it was Bravo did that 100 greatest horror movie moments. Mm-hmm. And in that, if memory serves, they had a um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I know what you're thinking, Duncan, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> Why would that? And it's the child catcher, um, who's the, like immensely fucking creepy and terrified me as a kid. Uh, Hello, children. You know, like, as he's like dancing about the place. And that was the thing, like, what made him terrifying is he moved, he was, I think in real life he was a ballet dancer. He's a German ballet dancer, and they cast him in the role, and as a result, he prances the way he walks, and it somehow makes him even more terrifying. Yeah. Because there's this, like, evil grace in the way he walks, and they take that and insert that 100% of this episode, and it's why those kids are so fucking creepy. Um, she's waiting on a train, mm-hmm. and the, the train ain't coming, Bo, and the camera's at a weird position where we can see right along the line of all the passengers and into... The dark stairwell <laughs> is leading up to the platform, and um, something happens. But I, I feel that you're best placed to articulate it because I've had a drink. Yeah. So as we're looking down this dark set of stairs, we see this like girlish figure walking backward up the steps, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a, a one leg has these pippy long stockings leggings on the other's bare it's this tattered kind of sundress um this nappy hair that's reminiscent of the the cover of the uncle tom book which mm-hmm. we see uh is accurate because as this girl backs up the stairs and then stops and then out jumps a second girl <laughs> from the first that you never saw before Mm-hmm. And then the girl who has jumped out, who has these like, all, like luminescent yellow eyes and this wide mouth and these jagged teeth, and it's just horrifying. 
and she whispers something to the other girl who bends backwards <laughs> where in one of those like oh that that's not how that's supposed to work yeah um, your back's not supposed to go that way <laughs> yeah and 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 also has this like you know devilish grin and these glowing yellow eyes and Dia as a random white dude like hey do you see this and he's like no leave me alone Mm-hmm. And this creepy, like, old 1930 song that sounds like, uh, it, much like the the song that the uh, Lodge owner lip syncs to in Winter Beast. Yeah, in terms, it sure was. <laughs> in, in terms of just being this kind of creepy 19-teens kind of song or something. Yeah. And it's playing as they're coming closer, and it's like, let me in, let me in. And they're dancing in this awful glee. And as they reach for uh, the nails get longer. Yeah. It the- turns out the song is called Stop That Knocking. Um, and it's performed by Peter DeSanti, Brian Mark, David Van Beersblick, which, you know, whoever was an American name, that's that, and Roger Smith. Um, and there is no like link to it or anything like that, but the song is called "Stop That Stop That Knocking," um, and they danced it fucking creepily while walking. I, I mean, it really is the kind of there is that kind of Pennywise the clown sort of thing going on with them. And, like Pennywise the clown was the twins from The Shining. That's kind of what this is. Yeah, um, it's so fucking jarring and. Like obviously she's desperate to get out of there. The trains are cancelled. There's like some power outage, and she tries to push past. And we start to see that the nails on these girls start to grow into almost like Freddy claws um, as she's trying to escape. And she just makes it out. But we now know that this is what the curse spell is. And Duncan is like, ah, it's not that pictures are spine. He's actually put a like, you know, this is the old curse of death curse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, uh, like literally she has a death curse on her and it's it follows esque in that like wherever she goes these fuckers are gonna just like dance and prance all the way up until they get her. Yeah. And like this never ending curse that, that follows her. And they yeah. are credited in the uh on the IMDB as Topsy and Bopsy. Yeah, this uh, yeah, this should be known as like terrifying and pant shitting. Um <laughs> but because uh, that is literally what they are. As like it's this sort of stuff. Like like I see there's a there's a kinda it's just so fucking like it, it is like some it is like they took the the creepy others from us and morphed them with the shining and a bit of Pennywise the Clown, and then made them dance with, with uh, and just added, a just a hint of Baba's demons. Yes, yes, and then I'd like, and they will act exactly like they do, and it follows. Um, yeah, and it's like a weird, bl- it's a smoothie <laughs> of all this served up, and it's just it's, it works so fucking well, and it is so unsettling. Like every time they come on screen, like oh no, again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like you said. It's just it's it's the appearance, it's the movement, it's the song. Like it's just it, it's just a nightmare brought to life. Yeah, it's a night, it's a nightmare milkshake. Um, and- yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, no matter how much you suck, oh. you, you still just need to give it about five minutes before you. It's can the really same. Drink. It's the same reaction that uh, Vincent Vega has when he realizes it's a five dollar milkshake at that <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. Fucking five dollars! 
It was a pretty good milkshake. Um, it was a pretty good nightmare. So we cut back to the boarding house where things uh, have not gotten less tense. Mm-hmm. As uh, Gia is telling uh, Letty and Atticus. Explaining what a succubus is. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, Atticus says succubus, and she's like, eh, Camillo, you know, yeah. six of one, half Camillo of the other. Yeah, it's, it's like a demon nine-tailed fox. And yeah. they're like, yeah, okay then. And then he's like, I love the fact that he's like, he instantly kicks in with a, you know, so you've slept with a hundred men, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, Atticus, you are in no position <laughs> to fucking throw any accusations anywhere. This woman wants to sleep with a hundred men, she can fucking sleep with a hundred men. You bat the fuck off. Well, no, he says, you killed a hundred men. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, yeah, that's my nature. What's your excuse? And yeah, he's just like, duh. She's like, you want some, you you want some antiseptic for that sick burn, I guess? <laughs> oh, let me, let me offer you some <laughs> cool compresses and moisture wipes for the burn that this comijo just gave you. On account of you saying stupid shit to me. <laughs> but like, she, she explains, she explains, this is what got me giggling. She explains, she's like, yeah, like when I'm having, when I'm, when I'm making the, the fuck with a man and the <laughs> climax, um, you know, I like, that's, that's when it triggers it. And like, as I'm killing them, I get to see their entire life up to the point of when they die. Um, but, you know, obviously, and Atticus is like, well, you know, how did I die? And she's like, well, I don't know. He's like, well, when is it going to happen? And she's like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, like, uh, come back later. Ask again later. The, yeah, the is it, like, future the magic, unclear. She's the magic magic eight ball of, of, of mystical Comijo answers. Um, he's like, well, like, you know, like, you can't tell me, like, you know, when I'm going to die. You can't tell me how I'm going to die. You know, what, why the fuck are you even here? And I'm like, she just travelled halfway across the world to come and see you. And this is how you're going to treat her. And of course, Letty boils it down to a nice concise point that we all know because we saw that episode. And that is simply, she's over here because she's still in love with you. Yeah. And she's like, right, I'm getting up. So Letty goes in a little, you know, a little strop. She's going to go upstairs and get the fuck out of Dodge, can pack her bags and all the rest. And then Atticus does what I consider personally is a very cruel thing um yeah he gets hereditary on her <laughs> don't you ever fucking swear at me i'm your fucking mother yeah where he he whispers to her our shit wasn't real yeah. i'm not dying get the fuck out and you're like whoa yeah you've just told uh a, a nine-tailed demon Get the fuck out. That's some balls, yeah. Atticus. I respect yeah, I'd be it. Think, yeah, I'd be thinking to myself, with all the shit I've seen, you know what I could use on my side right now? A nine-tailed succubus demon. Yeah. <laughs> on on my side? That'd be pretty good right now as I'm trying to work out spells to protect myself. So <laughs> let me just tell you, Duncan, the next couple of minutes are going to be me indulging in the delicious melodrama of this show that I like. Oh, this is fucking, this is, oh, this is like uh, one character is going to have their strop and the other one is going to try desperately to get them back on board. And then it's going to switch very, very, very quickly. 
and the roles will be reversed. And I'll tell you right now, both sides of it are equally fucking amazing. Yeah. So Atticus follows Letty uh, to her room where he finds her packing her shit. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where she was going to go, but that is where Letty's head is out of. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like this is your house, Letty. He should go. (laughs) Right. And then she looks at him and says, that bitch needs to go. And Atticus is like, she's gone. She is gone, Letty. <laughs> like, calm down. She is gone. Already gone. I took care of it. Yeah. She meant nothing to me. Nothing. Yeah. And Letty, very rightfully, is like, you are hiding this shit. And, uh, and and she says, uh, he's like, look, I don't know what happened to me that night. All I know, I was just trying to protect everybody around me. And that's all I'm trying to do. That's all I've ever been trying to do. And Letty also rightfully points out, <laughs> you were doing a shitty job of this because everyone around you done died. Yeah, everyone everyone around you done died except you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that stings. And then that's where Atticus is like, you know what? I'm just going to leave. <laughs> so It's like none of us are living in this house anymore. Yeah, we're, everybody's moving out. And then Atticus, as he leaves, Letty now follows him. And it's like, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to make this right. And so she follows up to his uh, room, Mm -hmm. which is kind of covered with notes and spell shit and that kind of thing. And and unsurprisingly, he's like, hey, I'm going to cast a spell. Yep. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. wait, wait, what? A spell? (laughs) Yeah, we got into this fucking place in the first place. So he gets a gun and his notes, and is about to leave. And she's like you said, she's trying to stop him. And he gives her this speech about like, "Hey, I'm doing all of this for us. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to protect our future." And the the line that probably got you too is when he yeah. yells, "We are surrounded by monsters, Letty." Yeah. And it, like, the, like I'm not doing justice how, to how good the delivery of that is, where it's just yeah. this anguish of like, I'm just trying to save our lives. It's up there, honestly, the delivery, and I, I do not see this lightly. It's up there with like the end of Training Day, and you've got like Denzel, you're like, King Kong ain't yeah. got shit on me. It's that sort of like, it's powerful. There's tears in his eyes. You feel the anguish is built up to this. You know, like fury and the despair. It's more despair than anything else. He's not doing this because he wants to do this. This is his only option because he has read the book, the book that we're going to find out why he's behaving the way he is momentarily. But like he knows something, he knows that she doesn't know that he knows what's going to happen. And as a result of that, this is him clutching at straws because he. He's fully aware that she's pregnant. She doesn't know that. Um, and he also knows what Extina's intention is. And he is going to do absolutely anything within his power to make sure that he's there to see his kid. Yeah. And um, it's, it's fucking brilliant. It's, it, it, once again, like you, like you say, we're, we're focused on all these other great performances. And sometimes it feels like he's been he's been solid throughout the entire show. He's you know, not delivered a bad line or a bad performance. And then he gets his moment to really shine here. And by God, does he deliver it. He also has a very (laughs) heartwarming scene coming up with his dad shortly. Uh, And their whole interaction is fucking amazing. But um, it really is. It's it's an incredibly powerful scene. Yeah. And And then he's got, he's gone. You know, like, he's like, fuck it. 
Well, and uh, my big complaint with Atticus, and not as he's written or anything, it's just like his character flaw, mm. is that Letty is like, you need to stay and tell me what's going on and I'll help you. We'll get through this together. And Atticus's big Achilles heel is he won't allow anyone to help him. He has to. He's, he's dead. Right. He right. He is his father's son. He yeah. He he takes all this responsibility on himself and 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 doesn't realize that he's actually stronger if Letty is by his side. Which has been consistently proved throughout the show that every time she helps and every time they work together, great things happen. Yes. But he's not. He's what he's like. He's dad. He's unprepared to let the guard down for fear that something bad happens. So he won't do it. All right. Duncan, let's get to some, let's leave that cool scene to go mm-hmm. to this cool scene mm-hmm. where Ruby uh, is coming downstairs post-coital to find Extina hanging up uh, saying to someone on the other end of the phone, of course, I'll be there soon. And mm-hmm. um, when you, when she says that, it doesn't sound like anything at first, but then later you're like, it's oh, fucking, oh my good God almighty. <laughs> that's who she was talking to. Mm-hmm. And then anyway, Ruby is comes downstairs and tells her the story of Emmett Till and, and says, this is a young kid from the South side, uh, ran afoul of the police. They, uh, they beat him. They shot him. They yep. they used barbed wire as a noose to tie him to like an old alternate or an old engine block or whatever. Yeah, and then threw that into the Tallahatchie River. And our is like, oh, I know. Mm-hmm. And Ruby says, like, I know you know, but do you care? And and Xena is like, look, you want me to say yes? And then Ruby's like, no, no, no. I just want you to feel for one second what I feel, mm-hmm. how how scared and angry and tired, so goddamn tired and alone and shameful. And and she's like, you're never going to understand that. And, you know, I want you to feel guilty for feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, the the thing that I didn't like about you, you know, pulling the skin off back there is she says, today of all days, I didn't want to be a black woman fucking a white man. Mm-hmm. And then Extina kind of nods and she says, no. <laughs> and Ruby's like, what? And she says, no, I don't care about Emmett Till or the cops who did it and i don't think you do either what i saw upstairs when we were fucking and that's what we were doing (laughs) was somebody being reborn yeah and then ruby doesn't say a word and extina leaves which to me speaks volumes see i think we have two different interpretations of this i think yeah i think ruby doesn't answer because what she sees is Extina confirming everything she's just said is that you uh, you don't feel any of this, and I am, and she's feeling that what you see on her face is all the stuff that she just expressed, being angry and tired and and just fed up and ashamed and all that stuff. Like 
the one person maybe that she could confide in is just like, I don't care and you don't either. And, and there's this fundamental misunderstanding between them. Like there, this is the gulf they can't ever bridge. Uh, see, I, I, I do read it differently because of how she talks about Extina later on in the episode. Right. I, I'm, I'm saying this be only because of what Extina does later. Right. Right, 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 I've got you. So, right, right, right. but anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. And then we cut to the Nightmare on Elm Street jump rope kids who have escaped <laughs> that movie. They are like at this point, it's just like one, two. Yeah, they just learned a new rhyme, but it's just like you know, if your name is D, you better run and pee because Topsy and Bobsy are gonna murder you. And really wish I spent more time. Writing on this new song. <laughs> <laughs> so D shows up at Letty's, and Letty is on her way out, and she's D's like, "Hey, I need some help." And Letty's just like, "I ain't got time. Like yeah. normally, I'm here for it, but I just don't have time today." And D tries to tell her, like, "Hey, I'm seeing Topsy and Bobsy, the Nightmare Twins." Mm. And but she can't get it out. She kind of chokes when she tries to to tell Letty. And Letty says, "D, just get some water or something. Uh, call Montrose and tell him you're here." Mm-hmm. And then she takes off to parts unknown for now. And uh, then D sees Topsy and Bobsy. Sure enough, and um, then as she's running away from that, D discovers Woody. Yep. And is like, hey, wait a second. But before she can really register and investigate, Topsy and Bobsy show up at the window of the car. And And a terrifying scene that made me almost shit my pants. (laughs) Yeah. And the horrible song starts up again and they they chase Dee away. And then we, we leave her being terrorized by Topsy and Bobsy, which... Like, these scenes are incredible, and they're atmospheric, and they're terribly frightening. But mm-hmm. it's hard to communicate that, so we're just trusting. Yeah, we, we, have to, we have to just go through it. Like, you, like, seeing is believing. They're really fucking well done. Yeah. And there's just, it is nightmare fuel. Right. It really it's, is. Right, it's like explaining why Wreck is scary. You know, it's yeah. like, you just, just watch Wreck, and you'll see. Um, the old woman, the old woman <laughs> Like, yeah, that's why like you explain it all, and someone's like, "That doesn't sound that scary." And then you sit them down with it, and you see the PTSD like post that scene. Yeah. <laughs> you just wash over them, and you're like, "Yeah, like what the world will seem different after this now." <laughs> like, yeah, no, this gets worse. Yeah, all of this yeah. will get worse as the movie goes. Enjoy, and yeah, also like go- <laughs> keep an eye out for the hammer. Yeah, when you <laughs> like, like post wreck the first the first breath of air that you have outside of a building where you've seen Wrecking will be the sweetest air that you've ever tasted when <laughs> you realise that you've just experienced one of the most terrifying things in all a movie. Um, like, you'll look at the world slightly differently. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, life-affirming and changing in equal measure. But yeah, like, these scenes really are, but we can't do them justice and you really need to check them out. And we are going to be returning to them at least twice uh, before the end of this episode with more Topsy and... What did you say? Topsy and Bobsy. Topsy and Bopsy. So yeah, we will be returning to that. So, and it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> no, it, it just gets worse. And then mm. on the south side, uh, we, we cut to Montrose, who is drinking on the stoop. Uh, I love it. Having gloriously it. fucked up today. 
Yeah, I also think like there's something about like American sort of curbs that just look instantly sitable. Like in the UK, the curbs are not that high up. Yeah. Um. So you can't really like you if you sat in them, you might as well just sit in the road. Uh. But the, these American ones here, it's a proper like stoop place. I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna have a drink and mm-hmm. and maybe someone will sit beside me. Maybe we'll have a chat. And I love that. We, you we, guys got that right. Yes, we we have our problems, but there is a, there is a charm to American culture when done right. Yeah. And uh, and the stoop and curb is. Right up there. Yes, definitely. So uh, Atticus arrives, and Montreux says, uh, D snuck out on me again. God damn it. And <laughs> Tick, Tick is like, hey, did you ever cheat on Mama? And Montrose, uh gets real with him for a bit, and he's like, I never did. Not while we were married. I had urges, but I waited till after she died, mister. <laughs> and then Tick... Uh, like sits down beside his father as a step yeah out right right on the on the curb and um montrose says you know when i was a kid there was a preacher back home he got caught in the woods with a dude the community really got riled up about it next thing you know somebody was showing up to take him to the loony bin mister they lobotomized him it mm. sucked and <laughs> And Montrose basically tells him, like, I decided I was going to have a life. Like, I wasn't going to be the person, whatever urges I had, I wasn't going to be the person that got taken off to the the nervous hospital mm-hmm. and lobotomized for the who I loved. And so she, when he met his, uh, Tick's mother, she was coming off of the Tulsa riots. Uh, her She'd lost most of her family. And... Um, she just wanted somebody safe. They both wanted to raise a family, he says, you know, and, um, he says it wasn't romantic, but familial love is the strongest. Yeah. And as they're talking, the, the lights on the street go out and then tick takes the drink from his father and has a drink. And he, uh, he says, you know, Letty's pregnant. And ladies and gents, get ready because we are about to drop big, big old massive amount of exposition here, which made me go, "Oh, I get it now." Yeah. And as soon as it was dropped, I was like, "Oh, I get it now!" And instantly there was this wash of relief that kind of flooded over me, where I suddenly, it's the like you mentioned jokingly earlier on, the lost scenario, where I'm like, "That right, everything does have a purpose, and we know what that purpose is." And that, you know, to me, is the concern with these shows is you're giving me all this cool shit, but does it tie up? Can you bring it all back and will it have a satisfying conclusion? Or will I be sitting here like with a bug in my brain for the next year going, but this bit didn't make sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, and as soon as we get this, this info dump, I was like, right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I am on board a hundred percent. Give me all of this. Um, I am, you know, I, I'm now recommitting my love for this show as much as I already had. I'm, I'm doubling, I'm doubling my efforts because how does he know that Letty is pregnant, Bo? Well, it turns out, Duncan, that when he fell into that rift in the last episode, he went to the future. Gotta go back in time. And has a book called Lovecraft Country mm-hmm. that was written by George Freeman, his son. Naughty's uncle. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so we, after that bomb is dropped, we cut immediately to Letty in church. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, Duncan, but there's something incredibly sexy even when Journey Smollett is praying. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you had that reaction, but I was like, ah, this feels highly erotic for some reason (laughs) should i feel guilty about masturbating to her in a church right praying emotionally praying (laughs) while she's like bearing her soul to the lord does this feel appropriate it's too late i'm already there yeah Um, (laughs) and so exina enters behind her as she's praying and and the thrust of her prayer is she is praying for protection for Atticus as he mm. casts this spell. She says, you know, God put your armor around him. And then she adds a PS about Emmett Till's family. Like, mm-hmm. you know, watch over them. An- another mention of Emmett Till that Extina is overhearing and, and thinking mm-hmm. about. So, Go on, Bo. Yeah, it's... God damn the show. Because the like because the, the, the upshot of this is something that is horrifically violent and at the same time amazingly crafted. So Yeah, it's <laughs> oh it's so good. And um so they, they sit down or Xena sits down beside Letty and is like, I didn't think you were much of a praying person. And Le- Letty is like, Well, I wasn't, but then you know, I came back from the dead and all, and that kind of sent me back to church. And they they kind of talk about, you know, well, uh, my father thought he was God. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he thought all the power he had and the influence he had over people made him a God. But he was just a dude. <laughs> and, you know, she says, like, you kind of you have to have immortality and also an understanding that God is both God and the devil, that he is both mm-hmm. things. And which is kind of an interesting take on Extina herself because she kind of is both those things too. She is both villainous, but also does things that seem to be very positive. Yeah. And um, so Letty wants to make Atticus invulnerable in exchange for the negatives of the the pictures that she took of the the pages, Hiram's pages. And Extina takes her hand and says. No, I'm not going to protect him, but I'll protect you. Mm-hmm. And then Letty pulls her hand away and and starts to leave. Uh, or, or Extina, like when she pulls her hand away, Extina gets up and she's just like, well, all right, fine then. And then starts to leave. And then Letty's like, wait. And Extina comes back and is like, oh, did you want something? <laughs> And this scene is so hot. And then uh she she holds her hand out to Letty. Letty takes it. And then Extina gives this incantation. And then uh Letty feels this pain in her side and kind of doubles over, and then when she looks, there is this like uh, a mark on her skin. Yeah, it's kind of like a ram's head. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. And Extina says, yeah, that's the mark of Cain. I was the first person to realize you could use to heal somebody. And this, I this, I realized here that this show also scratches a little bit of uh, the craft itch to me. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like, oh, I like all this witchcraft shit too. 
Because like as yeah. she's leaving, Letty whips her head around and is like, "Oh my god, I got marked by Cain in the House of the Lord." Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I I've done become evil and shit. Yeah, and then we cut back to D, who is uh, on her bike at night, having a great time. Man, all right. So she's <laughs> trying to get into the police station, and she ah, has- she's in a dark alley opposite the police station, and the camera's at an angle where I know for a fact those creepy fuckers are going to appear behind us. Yeah, and then they <laughs> do eyes first. <laughs> you know where they like you see these yellow eyes kind of pop out of the darkness, and then yeah. there they are, and you're like, stop yep. it. Um, we are Siamese, if you please. It, there's a hint <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah, there it is totally some of that. It fucking is. Yeah. Disney's fucking warped. Like, at the, but that, all that old Disney cartoon shit is terrifying. Right, there's always a scene in it where I'm like that. Right, why is this? Or like, who thought this was acceptable for kids? Sure. But there is, like, totally, the way they are moving is fucking 100% that. Yeah, and it, and again, it's those yellow glowing eyes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah, we're 100% on brand here. And mm-hmm. then D uh, just escapes their claws as as they uh, come close behind her, and and she yeah. keeps going. So we cut. She's gonna yeah, she's gonna follow them to the clubhouse, right? And so we we leave her to go back to Montrose and and Tick, who are at his place <laughs> setting up amazing. this spell. <laughs> this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode. And Montrose is like. Boy, you shouldn't have given Extina that key. That seems real stupid. And Tick is like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. The machine's broke. And uh, so he says, look, I was only in the future for a second. But then this woman with a hood and a robotic arm mm-hmm. gave him this book and shoved him back through the portal while white people were rioting. Which is the most rocking description of anything. Yeah, there's a total bang. Yeah, so like that, you know. I mean? And Tick is like, uh, yeah, I, you know, I read it, and uh, it's our family story. I mean, some of the details are different. Or and, are they, boo? Well, all right. So here's the thing <laughs> that I read on the IMDb, Duncan, mm-hmm. is that all the differences that he's detailing are the differences between the book and the television show. Oh, the show is fucking amazing. Which is, I think, really clever. And like, there's a thing where he's like, "Well, D's actually a boy named Horace, and you know that kind of thing." And that's all just that's what was in the book. Oh, so. that's so clever! <laughs> yeah, that's isn't that like, good? That's that's like having like Stephen King appear in your second it movie and constantly talk about jokes about how the character, who the writer is, uh, can't finish a book, <laughs> can't finish a big size finally. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's that sort of in in sort of thing. That kind of meta in joke. Ah, that makes a whole lot more sense now because my theory post this was that things out with you know like D being like a, a like a boy were changeable things like Uncle George was going to come back sure. and uh, it makes more sense now and I actually prefer that I think that's quite clever. But also it it could be that they also use it as like oh these are just alternate realities that are out there like Hippolyta mm-hmm. saw. Like I'm, I'm done with all of it. Yeah, so we <laughs> could. You know, I could still come back. God damn it! And I think he. Pro- I, I I would like to think he will. Yeah, I just because I like that character so much, and I would love. Mm. I would love to see a post episode seven Hippolyta with George. Yeah, well, she's she took his hand, so yeah. he is now traveling with her. 
Oh, so, wouldn't that be great if he if she comes back with George? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck, Duncan. Mm-hmm. She oh. brought him back. Hang on, I'm gonna need about five minutes. We're gonna pause the show, everybody. <laughs> no, um, so <laughs> like the like there, there's a, a traumatic scene with those little girls attacking D, and then this portal opens and you're bat, bat in it, bat in it. <laughs> You know, like, like, give me that. She comes back with her, like, you know, Amazon sword. George has a oh, ray gun. Like, yeah, just like, <laughs> just a ray gun. Right? <laughs> Shooting the Shoggoths and. Yeah, I need that. I need that. Mike. I mean, that's not the craziest thing we would have seen on this show. No, see, if the show did that, it would feel organic. <laughs> right. Like, if that happened, it would just be, like, a totally metal moment in a metal mm-hmm. series, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Tick is like, yeah, I, it turns out I die when Extina sacrifices me to become a mortal in five days at the Equinox. Yeah, and that, yeah, and that particular phrase that he mentioned to Extina earlier on. Yeah. And Montrose, like, at this point, Montrose steps the fuck up. Oh, dude, he says... I always thought I'd die by a white man's bullet or the end of a rope. Magic's so much more jazz. Mm. <laughs> oh, what a fucking line. And then Atticus kind of cries. Like, he's like, man, my dad's stepping up. Uh, you know? Yeah. It's like they finally feel like a family more than they ever have on this show. Mm-hmm. And then Mantra says, you know, you said something about spells requiring intention. And it is my intention to save my son and grandson, no matter what, mister. And it's pretty good stuff, man. This scene is, like, again, it's just nice to see these characters growing and mm-hmm. and, and becoming, like, a real... Like, our, our, the good guys are starting to gel, you know? Yeah. And in preparation for our final showdown. And uh, so... Then we, speaking of people just doing awesome and, and saying awesome things, <laughs> we go to Lancaster at the club where mm-hmm. he is discussing with one of his flunkies the practicality of going after Letty because he's like, hey, we don't know how much magic she knows. and Or if any. And B, she's <laughs> also something of a celebrity for opening up this boarding house and doing all this pioneering. And... Then D just busts into the room and is like, is my mother dead? And Lancaster goes, uh, probably. Yep. <laughs> and she says, what did you do to me with all the spit and whatnot? And what if these things get me? And he says, look, you bring me the Ori. And I'll take this curse off of you. Do you know what an Ori is? And she's like, like she like opens up one hundred percent. I kind of let it with us. Yeah, she's like, I of course I know what Ori is. Also, my mother's name is Greek asshole. <laughs> and then she spits on Lancaster's tie, calls him a pig, says "fuck you, pig." I was like, <laughs> yeah. Starts walking out of the place and on her way out the door just throws over her shoulder and it fucking stinks in here. Yeah. And takes off. Then the dead Kennedys play. Someone throws a lit garbage can through the window. (laughs) 
it is, like you say, is the most punk rock shit to happen. Yeah, of course. Is. Like, and this is where I'm like, that D is my MVP of this. <laughs> yeah, speaking of speaking of the the nut falling far from the tree, there's plenty mm. of Hippolyta and D. Oh yes, and, yes. Ain't a whole hell of a lot of. There's the the the. I'm saying that the Hippolyta is a very smart woman as well, but there's a the the well versed academia and reading of George right now, and a whole lot of swagger from Hippolyta. Yeah, uh, it's fucking awesome. And and so Lancaster, you know, watching her leave says, "All right, enough shit. I'm gonna go get what's mine." Yeah. And then That's what you think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, as D storms out though, they play this speech from a, a young woman named Naomi Wilder, um, mm-hmm. who spoke at the March for Our Lives rally and rally in 2018, mm-hmm. and it is it is a young black girl saying, "Hey, we are the victims nobody talks about. Like we're the the unseen victims of America." Yeah, and D uh, bikes away as the creatures are terrorizing her and she like once behind her once in front of her. And she just lets out speaking a Hippolyta, a Hippolyta esque yeah. roar. And then just speeds past. Yeah. The, the... Please check him with a demon. That's, it's kind of amazing. And she wins. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause they ain't nothing to fuck with. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> just wait till she gets a pipe. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get yeah but all right so we then we come back to ticket montrose actually doing this fucking spell <laughs> you got a great like reveal here of like montrose not understanding incantation yeah and like 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 things like i mean it totally makes sense like that you know like if you if you maybe it doesn't make sense if you're swapping words and uh, montrose like yeah like i do that sometimes he's like what do you mean you do that sometimes? He's like, well, I'm dyslexic. And he's like, since when? <laughs> it's like, since I was a kid. Yeah. And Tick, Tick has a funny line here where he says, do you keep any other secrets for me? <laughs> and it, but it's a real light thing, but Montrose looks a little guilty here, probably yeah. because he kind of suspects that George is Atticus's father. So there is a, a, a larger secret kind of floating out there. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But, eh, you know, but I, Atticus is, is definitely not like getting on his case about it or nothing. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. And they start, uh, the spell and like Atticus draws the, the, uh, symbol of the floor and steps inside it. And Montreux starts reciting it, and he's like, "All right, here's the spell." <laughs> Doc lock fuck. Does the spell in it? Doc He kind of gives it a half second. He's like, "Amen." And then does yeah. the <laughs> right. And Atticus kind of looks at him. He's like, "What? Well, fuck! It can't hurt." You know. <laughs> I, that's really funny, and 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 they <laughs> then they both just kind of look at each other. So and, do you feel anything different? Yeah, I don't know. How, how about you? And he's like, I don't know. And then they're like, Well, it didn't work. Right. We we fucked up. We didn't actually do anything. Maybe it didn't fuck up. <laughs> Meanwhile, down at the pier, Duncan. Oh, that scene. By the way, fuck's sake. So. Uh, Extina is, is down at, at some wooden pier with a couple of dudes that she has hired. You know, she's like, yeah. Hey, you've Thumbs got your us, You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And they're like, you sure about this? And she's like, Hey, just do what I hired you to do. 
And so they beat her. Yeah, beat the fucking shit out of her. They shoot her. Right in the stomach. Um. Yeah, and she coughs up blood, and I mean, yeah. she's yeah, it's gnarly. Yeah. Then they uh, tie a noose of barbed wire around her neck. Yep, which doesn't look nice at all. And and tie that to this, you know, piece of machinery, mm-hmm. and toss it into the river. Yep. And there is this amazing shot of the barbed wire uncoiling and then she's just unceremoniously yanked yeah off the pier leaving trail only, of blood yeah, yeah leaving only a trail of blood yep and then um and, and the guys are like it's a fucking crazy way to die it's not how <laughs> i'd want to go and then they fuck off yeah and once they fucked off extina because you know she's got an invulnerability here we are, um, born to be kings. Right. I am a mortal. <laughs> um, but sh- she like comes out of the water, like weeping and laughing, and it's just th- this is why I think all this stuff that Ruby said to her, and and even over here, yeah, like, there's there's a yeah there's a I think we are. I was tackling it from the other position i wasn't taking it from extina's position i was talking about ruby's intention sure and her reaction which and the scene coming up very soon where she's basically professing but not only my living her she's gonna teach me magic and yeah. all the rest and the like is that the sort of thing you'd be saying after having this huge weighty heartful conversation where you realize that the person that you really need to rely on doesn't actually have the same feelings or, you know, understand you on that level if you're still prepared to go through with everything that she's laid out as a thing. So maybe they're both right and maybe they're both wrong. Yeah, and and that's the kind of characters on this show that aren't, you know, like, that's commonplace is characters to be sort of both good and bad. Like, everybody's, yeah. no, nobody is purely a hero or a villain. Yeah, I like that. I, like I do that too. Idea. Maybe Lancaster. F- I guess Lancaster f- doesn't really have anything going for him. No. <laughs> He's just kind of an asshole. Yeah, and I would like to see he gets his comeuppance, but I think he might leave just before the comeuppance happen. We'll get to it. Um, well, yeah, sure we'll see. Was, I wasn't sure if he was one of the ones that... Well, we'll get to it. Yeah, well, um, so we're almost there, but... <laughs> So, um, but it, it, it's a really brutal scene and it, it, it's striking, it's horrific. but it, it also, I think for me, I, I like the fact that, that Xtina is like, okay, well, if I don't understand, let me, let me experience it oh, because yeah, it I'll doesn't experience. cost me anything. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's also the second scene in this episode where men have brutalized the women. So like D being like dragged to the ground, hoisted up, spat on and all the rest It's yeah. Like the, the, this show's not scared to do that. A lot, a lot of shows would back away from that. Specifically, twice in one episode, and they, you know, the the I I really it's, it's a bold thing to do, and something I appreciate that they're doing as well. So um, it's a great scene, um, and we are now leaving her for the rest of the episode. Yeah, um, um, we're gonna we'll move... find out what the after effect is in the next one. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, I'm very curious about this. Uh, so Letty is listening to stormy weather as mm-hmm. she's in her dark room basement that she exercised herself with the spirits of the ghosts of the house, <laughs> which uh, at one time was one of the coolest things 
Yeah, uh, basketball player with a baby's head. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, back <laughs> back in those heady days when it was like, oh, this show might be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's she took a bunch of pictures at the wake, but it turns out it's just a bunch of pictures of Atticus, and she says, you know. That that boy's mother was brave enough to put his body on display, and yeah. I wasn't brave enough to take a picture of it. And uh, and Ruby uh, says, "Look, you can't feel guilty for protecting yourself first. And uh, Letty is like, "Yeah, but here's the thing: I'm pregnant." <laughs> and Ruby says, "Oh, you should have stayed with Marvin instead of following Atticus to Artem." Mm-hmm. And then Letty is like, "The fuck." <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I totally know about magic and what's go- what happened to George. And also, I'm kind of sort of fucking Extina. I love the way they just like, this is just like, this could have been drawn out into a needless scene. And they're like that. Con- condense it down a couple of minutes. Let's just get over there. Right. You know stuff. I know stuff. Let's just, let's, I think this is brilliant. Yeah. And Letty is like, are you, did she ask you to spy on us? And Ruby's like, no. And Letty uh, is like, well, because she asked me to spy on on the rest of you fuckers, so like, let's not put it above her. Mm-hmm. And Ruby is like, no, 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 you understand. I'm getting magic out of this deal, and all I want. And she's like, I, I, I had a potion that a transformo juice that made me a white lady. Yeah. And what I learned is I don't want to be a white lady. I just want to be me. <laughs> she had the worst experience as a white lady. Yeah. Like, I just want to be me, but I want to be in a space that allows me to do that without fearing my safety. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Letty is very skeptical of this arrangement. But, but as she should be. <laughs> of, of course. But before she can really get into it with Ruby... um. Somebody calls from upstairs is like, Letty, you need to get up here. Yeah. And so we cut away from that and we're going to kind of wrap up the D story. And then because we do a lot of cutting back and forth, but instead of doing that, let's just finish what what's going on with D and then we'll cut over to Letty and, and, and whatnot. But so D is in this, has gone to the travel guide office Mm -hmm. where she is just kind of laying in wait. For these she's doing, girls. She, she's doing the old Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator. She's setting up all this. Yeah. the doors, building a fucking, <laughs> like, a giant bow and arrow out of a, a, a massive tree log that she's bent on her back. But she's basically creating this one access point into the travel lodge. Yeah. And then she starts drawing pictures of them kind of catalog what it is that they are how they look to her um yeah right if, if, if someone finds the body at least they'll know <laughs> who it was topsy and bopsy <laughs> if i don't have time to get to the chopper um she like draws these pictures and then as she's finishing that that's when they arrive but what they don't know is that um, D has played Clue before, and she knows that you can take someone out in the travel lodge with the lead pipe. Um, Dude, her <laughs> braining pe- the these Topsy and Bobsy with this pipe is I felt you, empowered. You know, yeah, I was just, I'm, I've never wanted a lead pipe so much in my entire life. <laughs> oh, but also, all right. So in that same sequence, though, where she brains one of them, mm. there's also the other one that creeps in the side door. And then looks at the audience before closing the door behind it her. Re- it really, oh. really, really does. It's fucking brilliant. Oh. Absolutely brilliant. 
It's so I mean, weird. Anyway, so yep. Montrose hears all this commotion and finds D in in the lobby of this place swinging at the air and he just grabs her hugging her thinking yeah. hey he's like, like she's doing to- a leather face like just like <laughs> <laughs> right but then we see this wound on her arm start to like form and then spread yeah and we then see from her point of view one of these things just is chewing on her arm yeah. While the other one is dancing around behind Montrose. And this is the last we see of these characters. Yeah, we're cutting away from that. And I was like, oh, you son of a fucking bitch. But hopefully, episode nine, we come back to discuss that. But there are bigger things afoot. And what I can only describe as one of my favorite things I've ever seen on TV ever. It's... Um, oh, it's so fucking good. Like, they're, they're, we're going to be talking about this, but there is a one shot of character standing against the house as a police officer flies past the house in the background. That might be one of the best things I've ever fucking seen in my entire life. Because the man shouting Letty up um, was basically giving their head up that the 5-0 are at the front door um, and the police have a search warrant because they are led to believe, and we know this is bullshit, that there's maybe a kind of brotherhood of Islam. Yeah, there's Muslims in the house. Yeah, yeah, planning some sort of retaliation for the funeral that's happened today. And of course, we know it's bullshit. The cop who's there is Lancaster. We know that's bullshit. Um, and like from kind of Ruby's perspective, she knows who this guy is because she planted the stone in that room. And she's a bit concerned for Letty, who tends to go off the handle anyway and what i love about this is one cop walks in to serve this and then lancaster's like yeah i'm just gonna walk in here and he hits the force field yeah (laughs) and he turns around and obviously sees the big bloody mark on the side of the door which was put there a few episodes ago uh, during the the exorcism scenes for the house um and he instantly realizes well yeah this is my worst fear she has achieved some sort of magical ability um and there is only one way in the cop book to remove magical ability, Bowen. What is that? Oh, you just line up outside the house and yep. and shoot until there's nothing left. Tommy gun the house to bits. Like, yeah, basically. it's the Chicago way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not in Chicago. Uh, you know, like... That's how you get Letty. <laughs> what are you prepared to do? Cop can't pass your door. You put holes in the fucking wall. Um, like it's like literally what happens is like like <laughs> they, they start shooting heavy into this house. Of course, all the characters get down on the ground. Get down! Uh, they're all down on the ground. Bullets are flying everywhere. And then there's this wonderful scene as all this is happening that Letty suddenly remembers. Wait one second. <laughs> I'm invincible. So she sits up and these bullets are flying past and then they'll get a slow motion bullet that comes towards her and basically ricochets off her. Uh, Once again, this is Xena's magic. Um, And Letty kind of looks pissed. She's not happy. She is not a happy fucking woman right now. Yeah, as she sees like the the boarding house that she's built up, like the chandeliers are crashing and Mm -hmm. like like everything she's been working for is destroyed. Yeah, plus, like, she doesn't know where Tick is. Yeah. Uh, this Asian woman appeared earlier on who basically turned out to be a fuck demon. Um, you know, there's, there's bullets on her house. Ruby's on the ground. She might get hurt. And, oh, by the way, she's fucking pregnant as well. And they're just shooting bullets casually in here. Letty's going to get some... She's going to get up in this bitch. 
Uh, meanwhile, Tick's walking along the street. He's coming back from his failed, quote-unquote, failed uh, magic experiment. And he hears, he hears some dots. So he arrives. And, of course, the police turn on him. Bo, oh, man. Yeah. It, oh, my God. This is so good. So, so good. <laughs> Tick stops. The police look at him. He looks at them. <laughs> then one cop starts to turn. And says, like, get your fucking hands up. Tick does. Letty sees them. Letty sees them and is like, no! And <laughs> runs out of the house. Um, As she's rushing, this is all kind of playing out in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And then you see a bullet uh, come yeah. out of the end of one of these cops' He's guns. He's got a gun! <laughs> aimed at... An encore performance of that line tonight. Um, you may you may just not remember that you you said that before. It's been so long. Well, I, I get I get the feeling that this is I get a feeling that's what Lancaster did when he couldn't get through the door. He walked back into the the cops and was like, "She's got a gun," and that's why they all started shooting at that. He's got a shog off. Uh, well, this is that the bullet starts coming towards Tech, and it is a ball here, knee he cunt here away from hitting him, and then. The ground explodes and our our old buddy the Shoggoth yeah. appears and I was like every little thing he does is magic. <laughs> every little Yeah. And it just rolls through the cops. It is like like Letty and Tick are trying to get inside. Mm. Meanwhile, a cop flies through a window. A, a car yeah, a car. lands in front of them. Yeah. I, what I love about this is everything the camera pans around from where they So they're like moving, but it's a very action-based cinematography. So the camera's moving around as they're going. And you just see this thing come out of a fucking car. They say that car, grab someone, tear them apart, throw one of them out the way. Camera moves back around to follow them along. Yeah. There's a guy flies over the top of the head. A car hits the grass. Uh, the Shoggoth goes to town and... Um, is right. This is the that confused me. Is Lancaster one of the? Is Lancaster the guy that gets his arm ripped off? Yes, Lancaster is right. the dude who gets his gun arm bitten off. Right, that's fine. But he's still alive. One presumes because we we cut from that to see a cop flying through the air, <laughs> which is really funny. But the question is, is that Lancaster? or Is that another cop? Yeah, I think he's still alive. I I would think so. I I would like yeah. to believe that Lancaster is. Alive enough, like like he'll use magic or something to come back to be kind of deformed and whatnot. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it is still funny a visual to see this cop body just fly across the screen. Like <laughs> standing in front uh, of the house, and that thing flies past him in the air, like high in the air. <laughs> it's the top window of the house. This <laughs> thing just out the way, and this thing rips them all to fucking shreds. And you've got well, the thing is, you've got Tick and um, <laughs> Letty standing there. Drenched in cop blood. Yeah. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to talk this down. <laughs> there's no way to hide this. Like, there's cars strewn about the place and, like, severed cop parts all over. But the Shoggoth comes up uh, as if seemingly to attack Tick. Uh, Tick puts his hand out and it nuzzles his hand. Yeah. Oh, he's a good boy. He's a good <laughs> Shoggoth. Is literally what my pug does when I tell my pug to fucking behave. As yeah. he comes up, like I used to, stop that, and he thinks that that's an invitation to be clapped. And Letty has this really like kind of sweet, poignant language. She's like, "I take it the magic word." Yeah, I guess. <laughs> 
baby does guess the spell work. Um, so and and there ended the episode. Uh, so oh. here's the thing, Duncan. Oh, so good. So seven uh, episode seven mm-hmm. is this kind of glorious exploration of a side character, both both literally on the show, like she is not the main character, but also a character who has lived as sort of a side character in her own life. Yeah. And it, it like that whole episode is this glorification of the, the sidekick. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. The, the ability to take the sidekick and give them a wealth of being the adventurer. Yeah. Um, and an episode like you are that you are the, the lead character in your own adventure. Uh, and we'll take you through sci-fi. We'll take you through, you know, romance and dance, and we'll take you through action. We'll take you through all these things that the the lead would generally do that the side wouldn't get to do, and they get to live those experiences, and it's fucking amazing. Um, and then the show takes a wicked turn in episode eight and brings it all back with a bang, but like feels need at that point to start bringing and knows it only has two episodes left, so it starts pulling all the threads together. Um, and he really satisfying way and gets bloody. <laughs> yeah, and and eight is also very much the the kind of Black Lives Matter episode. It yes, is, it, oh, very much it, is. Like, and we, it's, I would love to know when this was filmed. Yeah, or yeah, either it is eerily prescient because there, be. yeah, because there's that moment where D, while well, she's being hassled by the cops, actually has the line, "I can't breathe." Yeah, she can't. She can't breathe, which obviously has a prevalence sure. and importance just now. And um, and I think which, a lot I mean, of this is Misha Green, like through D, being able to say "fuck you, pig," well, is, yeah, well, is cathartic. <laughs> like that is cathartic in so many ways. Yeah for this show and uh, like that's kind of you know we talk about it a bunch but it's kind of the genius of the show is that all of the socio-political commentary is there and it's very much part of the show but if you wanted to ignore it you could yeah Um, oh oh god yeah if you want to only look at this show as a i kind of once again linking back to the two-dimensional view of a period horror movie uh show yeah it totally fits that brief but you don't I, you don't have to dig that far to get a, a wealth of subtext and and commentary, and I think that's where the show works at its best is the fact it can weave all that stuff in plus have this kind of very pulpy. There is the the, the cop blood that I mentioned earlier on is because Atticus and D turn their head around the car and a cop explodes in front of them, and someone off camera has a bucket of fake blood that in the throat in their faces. Yeah, and that's the that's the brilliance of this show is that you have all this weighty commentary happening there, but on the on the surface, you ultimately have a show that's dedicated to, to giving you gore and viscera and horror and and all those things that come hand in hand with it. And they do it expertly. It's another two episodes that are really a testament to phenomenal acting and amazing script writing. Um and the cinematography, like I say, Misha Green's floored me because not only is she behind the adaptation here for, for the screen, but like I said before, first time director on this episode and dear God almighty, uh, it's just a talent that is not only able to write stories, but but manifest them fully on the screen. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I would say, I, I feel like we're just like repeating ourselves every week. It's, it's easily the best show I've seen this year. 
quite easily. And I think even if they fuck up the last two episodes, I'll still be saying it's easily the best show I've seen this year. It just works on a completely different level to everything. It gives me everything I want. It's like someone finally took the idea of the X-Files Monster of the Week episodes that we all loved, but we only got like two every season and has made an entire show. Uh, Monster of the Week episodes, uh, but their own little spins on them, and all of them work incredibly well without feeling that they're diverting too far off the central story. Everything has a purpose, and we're now starting to see what that purpose is. Uh, yeah, this is absolutely... I cannot... Like, the the willpower that had to be enacted yeah. uh, not to watch episode 9 after watching episode 8 is Herculean. There's no way to describe it. Um, I can't wait to wrap this show up and then go back through it again. Fucking like jaw droppingly good. Yeah, it's terrific. Uh, Duncan, let's uh, before we bounce out of here, mm-hmm. if, if people, uh, God help them, want to hear more out of you, <laughs> we've been we've been running long. I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, uh, yeah they can check me out on podcast under the stairs. You can do that by visiting the website tputscast, which is t p u t s cast dot com, or just type podcast under the stairs into whatever podcatcher you have and i will appear there <laughs> yeah say his name three <laughs> times and there he is uh, yeah don't but try and space it out because can't be in two places at once i've tried <laughs> yeah well it's good to know that you obey the laws of physics that's uh, uh, well, we're possible but i mean <laughs> well yeah i you know some some rules are made to be broken no no question <laughs> about that um hey if you want to hear any more out of me uh then you can find more at legionpodcasts.com uh where you can find shows like pick six movies and hero hero go show and uh, a number of other projects uh some standalone stuff just on the legion podcast main feed uh so mm. check out more of that stuff over there and uh until next time when we will be discussing the final two episodes of lovecraft country no. uh, all uh, it is all that is left to say is say good night duncan say good night duncan what D- nori <laughs> good night duncan. two weeks to all right, I'm pulling the plug on this. <laughs> Wait, you're broken. <laughs>